All right, good morning. Finally, at last, we put a program together to uh, help my dear friend Paul Healy, who I guess is uh, feeling a tad better, but still has a lot, a lot of symptoms to clear up. So, Paul, we're hoping you're feeling better by Monday, and it's great to be here. Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul on this uh, Thursday, February 1st. Welcome to February, and welcome to Black History Month. We salute and honor all of our black Americans who have made contributions through the years. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. We have a guest on the phone lines, and we'll go right to her because time is of the essence. Kim Thomas, thank you for being with us for a few minutes. I know you don't have a lot of time, but thank you uh, initially for being with us for a few minutes. And how, are, how is everything at the Habitat for Humanity as you are the CEO? Yes, good morning. Everything is um, fantastic. Thank you for having me today. We appreciate it. Very much. Now we have you, a, mm-hmm, yes, a build a build going on in Norton right now. Now that was there was one that was just completed with the three people that moved in. I read the story. What a heartwarming story of the family and the dog and uh, how she never ever thought she would be able to be a homeowner and it's uh, it's happening for her and I'm sure it's going to happen for somebody else. Tell us more about the new build happening. Yes, well, the, uh, we'll kind of go back to the, um, to the Attleboro build. The family's doing really well and um, the kids are settled with school and um, just really enjoying the home with their families and able to, you know, spend the holidays this past um, December, which is really, really nice. So it's, um, we stay in touch with them and they're very, very happy and Appreciate everyone's support for that build. Mm-hmm. How- and for Norton, yes. Sorry about that. For our Norton build, we have um, the Creedon family. So Nico and Sage, their little dog Tucker, and Elise is the mom. Mm-hmm. So they've been um, the house yesterday was put the roof on, and then the siding's being done today and yesterday. It should be done soon. And Elise, you know, goes by every few times a week to check in, and we have our volunteers helping. So it's just a Wonderful, um, heartwarming, amazing project that's happening again now in Norton. Mm-hmm. How does one uh, find out about the availability of the construction of a house? How do they go about and apply? And do you accept as many applications as can be made? That's a great question, Tom. So what we do is um, we open up the application. We, we actually have a um, link on our website that says, you know, interest in joining the waiting list for home. And everyone, every family that qualifies or anyone will really go through the waiting list, sign up. And then when we have a home that's available and open for an application, we will send out an email to um, that group and then also publicize it with the schools in our area and, you know, the newspaper is a type of um, digital marketing that we can get the word out and then people can apply. It's um, quite a long process, but you have to live or work in the area, be able to, um, you know, afford a mortgage and also mm-hmm. be in need of affordable housing. Yeah, I read about the lady and her kids uh, in Norton who just moved in, and uh, I was amazed at the 
you know, what she pays for a mortgage is unbelievable. There's a lot of people who are renting apartments in Attleboro and other communities who are paying that or more, which is just amazing. Yes, it really is a tough market out there, as everyone knows, that's looking for a home, whether it's through a Habitat build or, you know, some other type of first-time homebuyer program or such. But, yeah, it's definitely a challenge with the rates and so forth. So, you know, we rely on donors to support the build and then, you know, work with the families to qualify them for the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And we, we're right now we're going through Webster Bank. Um, they've been fabulous working with us to obtain the mortgage for the Norton family. They've not moved in yet. It'll probably be in June. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. the home build will be done then. But, um, yeah, it's a really great program for folks that wouldn't not otherwise be able to afford a home and also are in you know, critical need of a stable housing. Mm-hmm. Groups like Keach's Law Group and I know uh, First Bristol Bank here in yeah. Attleboro have been tremendous boosters and sponsors and supporters of Habitat. Um, any business really can join in. How would, uh, you know, some of the local uh, businesses, whether they're car facilities or, or real estate places, how can they join in to be supportive, Kim? That's a great question. Uh, well, they could um, go on our website or email me at dir at old colonyhabitat.org, or, um, you know, go through the website. Their information is on there with my email. There's a link to inquire about a build. You know, we have Bristol County Savings Bank. Schneider Electric has been wonderful. Plain Ridge Park Casino was our first sponsor to step up. You know, and then we have a lot of other, you know, CBS, Harbor One, Bluestone Community Health Systems Foundation in Northeastern. Those are at Wallraiser sponsors. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and there's many, many sponsors on our website that are listed. So there are team build days that folks can, you know, sponsor through a corporate donation, and then they can bring out teams of anywhere from six to ten people. Mm-hmm. It's a nice team building day, and they can come out and work with the home owner um, and also the sponsors and volunteers that are helping build the home. It's a wonderful event. You know, we'll have breakfast, do a breakout. People will go learn the skills they'd like to learn, whether it's trimming painting, installing kitchen cabinets, flooring, you know, um, it's just wonderful to have everyone out there doing those projects to make Mm -hmm. the house a home. That's terrific. So I was going to ask you if you had a construction firm that builds the house or does it go out to bid? Uh, In some way, you've got to have some, you know, professional people, I would think. Is it all done um, by volunteers like they did uh, a few years ago at the Attleboro football field. Uh, a whole bunch of volunteers from the city built their new concession stand and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, maybe elaborate a little bit more. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the construction? Sure. You know, we have the obviously the um, getting the, the land surveyed and, and ready to go, and then we have the professionals doing the engineering, um, we have um, even, um, we have Trowbridge uh, out there, Mike Trowbridge. They, they're out there doing the work and donating their time for us, which is wonderful. So they go out and survey and get everything ready for us. And then we end up, um, you know, do the foundation with a professional. We have a framer that does work at a significant discount alongside our build committee. And then, you know, they put in the windows and the doors. And then we have um, Rich Farmer and a group of um, guys, Stephen Manny on our board. He's our contractor. He ended up getting his license. So he oversees all of that. And, um, 
you know, then we bring in, once we kind of, we call it, you know, weather tight, get the house ready with the siding and the roofing, and then we bring in our volunteers. We have um, AGI donating all of the insulation. It's unbelievable, honestly, the people that come out. Bedrock Granite's donating granite. Wood Palace Kitchen donates the kitchen. A lot of in-kind support that we're very grateful for. That's amazing. That is absolutely one of the best examples of community spirit and businesses working together and volunteers for the for a wonderful cause to help somebody realize that they can have a home. That's just wonderful. No age requirements for people applying. Um, you know, I know you said you got to no. you have to have a good job or a, a, a reasonable amount of income. Yes, you have to have um, definitely live and work in the area and apply through, you know, the portal, and it can be any, anyone is welcome to apply. And then we'll qualify folks that do, you know, fall within the mm-hmm. categories and also have good credit and all of those things for sure. Yeah, anyone can apply. There is yeah. one other area that I know that you're very supportive of and you keep track of. The, the store in South Attleboro where people go in and, and donate things they get sold you guys get a is it you guys get a percentage of that money what am i thinking of yes absolutely so we run the restore is under our old colony habitat for humanity affiliates so i work closely with the restore staff we bring in um anyone can shop there so it's open to the public a lot of people don't know that and then also people can donate furnishings small furnishings whether it's plates um, pans you know, dishes and such and bowls. And then also we take bigger things like, um, you know, gently used furniture that we can resell, uh, bedroom frames and things like that. So um, those proceeds go directly to the operations and the um, home bills that we do. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely tied in. And we know you are a very, very busy young lady. You, uh, you're in meetings, you're meeting with, uh, you know, volunteers, and you're setting up home builds. And um, today, I know you, uh, maybe a couple of minutes left here, a minute and a half or so, you're at a meeting today. Is that something to do with uh, you being on the board of another organization, or is that something to do with Habitat? Yeah, that was actually, it was a networking event. I didn't get to go because I actually had um, some car trouble this morning. Oh, so goodness. I, but, but it was through the Taunton Chamber at the Mark Oh, of that's Healing. right. Yes, that's right. Yes. I was so disappointed I couldn't make it. I sent my regards. <laughs> but um, I do do a lot of networking. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very so, proud of the work over there at the Mark of Healing. You and I have that in common. I have car trouble about three times <laughs> a week. And it's, uh, oh, no. you know, maybe because <laughs> I drive so much. Did you get it repaired? Do you have AAA? Well, I actually, honestly, I walked down to Jim's Automotive in Mansfield, mm-hmm. and um, they took me right in there, a great, great mm-hmm. um, company, so they're fixing my brakes today. Wow, that's terrific. Yep. So I'll okay. be doing all my work remote today. One more time, your phone number and email address. Sure, it's dir at oldcolonyhabitat.org, and the number is 508 508- Three three nine seventeen eighty one five zero eight three excuse me five zero eight three nine nine seventeen eighty one dir at oldcolonyhabitat.org. Terrific! I wish you much success. We'll keep in touch. Next time we'll be on a little bit longer, and we can expand on some of these topics with uh, um, Old Colony Habitat for Humanity. Thank you so much, Kim. Have a terrific day. 
Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. There goes uh, Kim Thomas. We're going to take a short break. We have our next guest who is, uh, well, actually, he is uh, standing outside, and I've got to go let him in, so that's what I'll do. We'll be right back with my next guest. His name is uh, John Wright. He's the new... He's the new zoo director at Capron Park Zoo, and that's quite a, uh, quite a responsibility and quite a position to take over. We have a lot to talk about with Capron Park Zoo and John Wright right after these words. Okay, we are back 17 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. Welcome in to our second segment of this first hour. Tom Rafferty sitting in for... Paul Healy, and welcome aboard to the, the well, we got to watch those levels, uh, to the new um, zoo director of the Capron Park Zoo, Mr. John Wright. John, welcome in. Welcome, and thank you very much for inviting me. Now, have you been over here at all since you've been in town? Or? Nope, this is my first time. Oh, well, we're a very, very good community-oriented radio station we connect with a lot of the different businesses and nonprofits, and um, you know, we just have the philosophy that the city of Attleboro and the people and surrounding towns are the community, and they are the you know the thing that makes everything tick, and we're part of that, and we try to have people in, uh, newsmakers and people who are working to make it a better better area, and that certainly is you. You have. A lot of experience in the zoos. How did it all start for you? I started out um, in high school as a volunteer. So mm-hmm. I kind of know the value of volunteers and people who are interested. I uh, did my interning and uh, finished up my degree, and here I am 30 years later. My goodness. So where are you from originally? I originally grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. Wow. So, so go Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> my first. Oh, my Lord. They are like... You know, they're building their way to ruining the Patriots dynasty, I think, you know. But anyway, another story for another time. So you grew up in Kansas, in the Kansas City, Missouri area. Correct. Uh, do they have a big, big zoo there? Um, they started out a uh, medium-sized zoo. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere about in the 90s, they got a $7 million uh, bond with the city. And were able to expand it and grow it. Now it's... Uh, Acre per acre, the largest zoo in Missouri, and then probably close to the Midwest at this point. Wow. Awesome. What were your first feelings, your first motivations to get involved with the zoo? You just you, you obviously love animals. I, I love animals. Um, but more importantly, I love connecting people with the wildlife and mm-hmm. communities and, and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I think that that's the most important part because I can only do so much. Mm-hmm. If I can influence and impassion other people to do a little bit, each of us, it all adds up. So that's mm-hmm. kind of really where I'm at. Um, I enjoy working with people and working around animals. One day is not the same as the next. So mm-hmm. if you will, it's not your typical 9 to 5, Monday through Friday mm-hmm. type of job. We have had a lot of the young folks from Capron Park Zoo here in studio talking about their what they do, um, uh, different functions related to the schools. And uh, I got to say, I'm sure you've met a lot of your staff already. They, you got some good people over there. That is correct. That's one of the things that drew me here is uh, 
almost my least experienced person has five years. And I have people with 20 years experience. So that mm-hmm. connection to the zoo, mm-hmm. connection to the community is, is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually have connections. So I listen to them. I listen to their understanding of animal behavior, the individual animals, and then I'm here to support them as a manager. Mm-hmm. What is it about Capron Park that might be different? What is it about this city? And the, It's a smaller zoo. But it's got a, you know, you've got some very unique animals there. What is it about Capron that attracted you? Um, first of all, we're an accredited institution. So there's only about 230-some institutions in the country of uh, probably over 3,000 USDA-licensed facilities. So that sets mm-hmm. us apart in that regards. Um, second of all is I've, I spent some time in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I actually learned that smaller zoos connect better with their communities. When mm-hmm. I go out shopping, heck, I'm a living temporarily at the moment, but when I go to Laundromat, I'm talking to the people there about the zoo and all our offerings and things like that so I can connect closer with the community. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of where we're at. There's a new master plan that we will be working off of and trying to develop. Um, From that master plan, we can develop a strategic plan, which is how do we get there. Right. Um, I like to come into challenges um, and trying to sort out and trying to bring us um, to a better financial stability um, so that we can continue to grow, continue to improve the the uh, community treasure that mm-hmm. it is. So we're hoping that we can get the community involved to potentially uh, give us their time and talent and support us in our endeavors. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to offer, and I'm trying to think of some ways that I can tweak it and make us stand out amongst our um, wonderful other facilities that are in within an hour's drive of mm-hmm. here. So we do have some competition, but I believe we're connecting better with our community than the larger tr- tourist-driven entities nearby. I know you want to attract new people, families, make it family friendly. I think it is. I think it's always been family friendly, but I was told by the um, outgoing retiring um, zoo director, Lou Stevens, I don't know whether you know him or not, but he said that a lot of the folks that go to Capron Park Zoo, more of them are from the northern Rhode Island area and Rhode Island than this area, the Attleboro area. So, you know, take that as you will. That's what he had said. I don't know what what the actual numbers are, but um, to make it a family-friendly place um, is, you know, I think every family should have a time to go into that zoo and learn about the animals that are there and about their, you know, history and, and because the zoo is a place where these animals have a habitat, have an area where they can flourish. You know, I mean, some of them uh, have come from long distances. Uh, at this point, I know you started on January 2nd. Where are you at now with just looking at what the zoo has done, what it needs, that kind of thing? Um, you're right. There's a lot to take in a short amount of time. <laughs> But I've already started looking at the finances and kind mm-hmm. of tr- being able to track our budget to know if we're doing well, where we're at in comparison to previous years, so that I know how mm-hmm. to stay up on top of those matters. Um, I have my maintenance crew going building the building right now, generating a project list. We're getting mm-hmm. ready to come into the budgeting time. It's good that I know everything that needs to get done. Um, there have been some concerns of our aged collection, so I'm working with uh, the animal care staff to actually do a collection plan. And so that what that does is allow us to sit there and say, as these animals get older, what's the ability to uh, acquire new new animals? Or what would be a really good 
animal to put into that exhibit. Um, mm -hmm. We do have some smaller exhibits, so we may actually look at bringing in smaller animals that would be better appropriate for that size exhibit. Sure. So we're really looking at what we can do with what we have, um, and we work towards that goal. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've tackled all those three and uh, still working on working the financial side of things, so I better understand it. I can better budget for the following year. Um, and now I'm kind of at that point where if I can get out into the community and start to rally support, that's now my next kind of goal sure. now that I know a little bit more. And uh, doing community uh, conversations like this with uh, civic groups and whatnot, that's sure. going to be my next aspect. And then um, getting to know our friends organization. They support us through their fundraisers and our endeavors. Absolutely, yes. The Friends of Capron Park Zoo who are terrific. We've had a few of those people in here as well. Um, it's such a good time. I mean, we're in winter time, which I think, you know, things slow down, obviously, in the winter, maybe not as many visitors, but it's a good time to make plans and to uh, get the marketing plan going. And you, you and anyone at Capron Park Zoo are invited here anytime to, you know, get the word out. So when we call or, you know, there's other hosts other than me, um, I always take it like when I'm talking to somebody, I don't know anything about, you know, how you were hired. I don't know anything about, you know, the multitudes of animals that are there. I've gone in and seen a lot of them. Um, but it's a terrific, wonderful place. It's, it can be so spiritual and quiet walking around. Uh, they have the, the little, um, you know, when you want to know about the spotted owl, it, you, can, you can read the little information. But um, for you, uh, uh, things are going to start probably warming up a little bit in the springtime, I would think. Correct. But this is really sometimes our busier time of the year because I'm working on a budget. I'm mm -hmm. also working on that marketing plan. So as mentioned, we have several other uh, great institutions that we partner with in the area. So how do we stand out? And that was one of the things that I was looking at after offered a position, how do we stand out? Um, so I'm working on basically a storytelling where we can devise a collection that goes along with a story. Mm -hmm. And so one of the examples would be if I did conservation champions, um, could I bring in some tamarins, which we have some tamarins, but I would potentially look at cotton top tamarins. And Dr. Ann Savage is, if you will, the Jane Goodall of cotton top tamarins and allow our guests to actually Skype in or Zoom and talk to her about research that's going on in Columbia and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So we'd be able to partner with these conservation champions that people in our community can actually talk to in like a little lecture series that we can do. Sure. So with all our animals, we would sit there and say, who is the top expert in that? So Jane Goodall with chimpanzees, Cynthia mm -hmm. Moss with elephants. But we would relate it with our collection and not those sure. particular animals. So people can meet that. Um, weird animal adaptations. You know, why does the animal, <laughs> why does an I.I. lemur mm -hmm. have this three times long index finger? Yeah. What's the story behind that? Mm -hmm. um, elephants got their trunks. Why? Because the old legendary story is that a crocodile grabbed it and pulled it out. So we would be able to tell mythical stories, actual stories, meet people that actually do with that. So I think that storytelling is really, really great. And we'd be able to change that up. Mm -hmm. We'd be able to change our signage, uh, making more of a digital signage as opposed to your standard signage that you see sure. all the time. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we're trying to do to bring about a change, always something interesting. Mm -hmm. Our keeper chats, I can sit there and talk about lions in general, but to be able to talk about that individual lions that we have here with the keepers who are caring for it, 
each keeper will have their own different stories. So mm -hmm. doing keeper chats. That Oop, wait a minute. That's the uh, the speeding of of, uh, of radio. Everything is like logged into the computer, and it just so. But I have, I just stopped it. But we'll. It's kind of like we'll the Oscars when the, the music starts absolutely, playing. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. You yeah. Know, and you just okay. Getting back to John Wright, go ahead. Yeah, so by creating different stories, telling different stories, it creates a different, unique experience every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people want, just something that helps them connect a little bit. And storytelling is probably the best way, especially in a smaller zoo, where we can be a little bit more intimately connected with our guests mm -hmm. to be able to actually answer their individual questions as we go along with that. So um, that's kind of my hope, and uh, I think we can get there. Mm -hmm. um, it should be relatively... Uh, reasonable to do with a little bit of support and our continuing efforts, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll get there. Yeah, you got to know where all these people are in the country so that you can schedule them to come in and do these talks. Well, that's the deal. As I already, I already right. personally know some of them through, oh, through the years of experience. Sure, from other zoos. Correct, yep. Yeah, that's terrific. John Wright, he is the new zoo director at Capron Park Zoo. Uh, lots of plans, lots of challenges. He has an abundance of experience. Uh, he loves to, uh, you know, have a challenge, and he, uh, he's passionate about zoo management and animal conservation. So we'll talk about that when we come back. We do have to go to a break, and we will be right back with my guest, John Wright from Capron Park Zoo, right after this. Talking zoo, talking Capron Park Zoo. And a lot of the changes that have happened there and the future of Capron Park Zoo. And here's one gentleman, John Wright. He is the new zoo director for the Capron Park Zoo. And uh, um, I want to cover this just briefly. And I'm sure that, you know, um, being from outside, being brought in as the zoo director, you were not aware of before you got here about all the things that happened with COVID and the budget and everything, but the community and myself, because I had Brenda Young on many times and we had her here, I was really sad to see that she is gone. Um, I'm glad that uh, one of the folks at the Capron Park Zoo said that she did nothing wrong. She had a lot of experience. She knew everybody over there and could do all of the jobs. Um, you know, for you, that's got to be kind of a, wow, that was quick, you know, because there's no history. I mean, you probably didn't even know her at all or very, very, not very well at all. What, what's your reaction? Has that happened in the past where somebody, obviously, I think it was a budgetary thing. She made pretty good money um, and she's now going to retire. But, you know, she, she was very good for the zoo. Um, and I'm sure that you and your staff are going to continue on. Yeah, so the the minimal I can really talk about it because I mm -hmm. had two weeks before. Yeah, I don't want to yep. put you anywhere yeah. on the spot. It was the mayor's decision mm -hmm. um, in that, and uh, she she chose me and is asking that we actually transform and keep moving forward and really mm -hmm. start getting the ball rolling to where we need to, to get going on. Mm -hmm. um, she felt that with a new director, with that new image, that's kind of the direction we were going to go. I serve at the mayor's pleasure. So did Brenda. Mm -hmm. So that's the mayor's call in that regards. That being said is Brenda did a good job 
quickly updating me where everything's at. And I am uh, doing all those duties now and working towards those goals. Mm -hmm. And uh, that comes back down to is I've been in these situations where I have to come in, learn everything really quick, and get mm -hmm. on the operating deal. So um, as much work and, and as appreciative of, sh of everything that she's done, um, we're moving forward. And mm -hmm. we're, um, like I said, is not, we haven't really dropped the ball on anything. Right. Well, that's, that's a good way of putting it and well said. And, you know, I guess, and I know Mayor uh, um, Catherine DeSimone pretty well. She's been here um, from the time she was on the city council and was running for the city council. Uh, she was put in a tough position when she first became mayor. I think she's doing a pretty good job. I, you know, but we all have a right to speak, and for me, and it has nothing to do with you. You're going to be great. I'm sure your experience uh, and your position as zoo director is going to move the zoo forward in a very positive. I was just disappointed. I, I, I would call into question her, you know, her reasoning and uh, for letting Brenda Young go as the assistant director, and I just think, uh, you know, it was a... She said it was a personnel, uh, a per, you know, something to do with the employeeship or that, you know, whatever direction the zoo is going, they didn't believe that Brenda would be a part of that new part. So, you know, to Brenda, if she's listening, we, uh, you know, we wish our very best. I think there's a lot of people listening who will probably go into question about it as well. Um, you're taking a great road, the high road, because again, you're, you're, you just weren't even involved in that. And like I asked you before, has this happened before? And yes, it has. So, um, and it happens a lot in radio, believe me. You're here one day and go on the next is, you know, but uh, um, I hope that, you know, whoever talks with uh, the mayor can get more of an explanation. Even the city council president, Gita Lucio, was very, very, you know, kind of shocked and surprised that she was let go. But you know, for that, I'm sure she's going to do well. She did a great job for a number of years. And uh, we're happy to have you here and happy to be a part of the whole process of, uh, you know, making the city good. And, and that zoo has a long, long history. How did you hear about the job opening? Um, well, there's uh, the AZA, which is the American Association of Zoos and Aquaria, mm -hmm. um, that has a job posting. So there's a several other professional websites that do mm -hmm. posting and whatnot. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> those that are looking or I, I still look for like job descriptions. Mm -hmm. So as we're looking at how we retool our, our team, I have to make sure our job descriptions are up to date and accurate reflecting those positions. So I look at that. I also look to see who's hiring and maybe they have a new exhibit opening up or mm -hmm. kind of what's going on in those. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of websites that we, we in the professional circle that we find those um, mm -hmm. advertisements. So that's where I was looking and Terrific. found it and did the application. That's good. Shall we tell people? Uh, well, I guess we already have that you're from Kansas City. Correct. So we know, you know, who you're going <laughs> to root for in the Super Bowl, which great team. Absolutely a great team. Um, but uh, anyway, let's talk more about... Um, Financially, I know you can't go into a lot of details, but Kevin Dumas was the uh, chairman of the task force to try to look at where, you know, how it got into the red and how it can go back into the black and equal out. Um, 
your plans are obviously to attract more visitors. And Correct. So let's face it, more visitors, more money, more you can do. Mm-hmm. So that's always our driving aspect. I think our marketing, kind of how I want to brand the zoo and connect with the people, mm-hmm. will get us there. The other aspect is also monitoring um, the revolving fund. So it has more of a business approach than your standard governmental approach. Mm-hmm. I think in the past we've seen a governmental budget. That's the money I have. I have to spend it all. Mm-hmm. But we actually have to generate our own money. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is I never generate um, less than what I'm spending. And so hopefully mm-hmm. I, I build in a little bit of a cushion or quote-unquote profit so that then we can fund other future programs and endeavors and maintenance and things like that in the future. So I think that's kind of key that I don't necessarily spend more than I make, which I is see. a great philosophy. Um, we work um, very close with the city and they're supporting. So I'm trying to understand that budget. I'm trying to see my trends. Um, one of the things that very early on in my management career, they were asked, what's your strengths and weaknesses? And I said, oh, I'm not a CPA. I don't know those <laughs> those money figures and accounting and things like right. that. But I, when I realized that's probably not the best answer, I realized I was a scientist and I look at data or mm-hmm. numbers. Yeah. And I can see trends and I can make my hypothesis and I can actually make my decisions based on those numbers. Mm-hmm. So even though I might be at 60% of my budget right now, if my spending is below that or above that, that allows me to make those adjustments. And by communicating with my supervisors in the finance department, mm-hmm. that can help us understand the trends of where we're going because I might be entering the last quarter of my revenue, mm-hmm. but I'm making 40% of my revenue in that last quarter because of the way the mm-hmm. summer and spring sure. and winter and all that stuff. So as long as I understand my trends, I can see where I am from year to year to know that, hey, maybe I need to advertise more birthday parties at the zoo, mm-hmm. and which we're starting up again. So um, Mm -hmm. maybe more programs. I can see where we're trending from year to year. And once Mm -hmm. once I realized as a scientist that data can control my decisions, I just put a dollar sign in front of it, and then I'm good. I see, right. You you mentioned birthday parties. You can have birthday parties there. Uh, What does that entail? Is that a tale of a... uh, a tour of the Capron Park Zoo? Do they, uh, is there, you know, a, a few other things involved? And there is a price for a family, a mom or a dad, for that, correct? Yeah. So we're, I'm looking at all our price structures and all our offerings to figure out where there's opportunities to, to raise a little bit of extra funds. But mm-hmm. right now we're, we're doing a birthday party in our educational classroom, which holds about 15 people. For those mm-hmm. 15 people, just to rent the room, just to get into the zoo, it's $200. That's a bargain. Yeah. And then if they want an animal encounter, so where a staff member comes in and talks about an animal and shows it, that's 250 mm-hmm. Then we have a higher end where we take care of, and those other two, you take care of the cakes, you take care mm-hmm. of everything. We're just giving you room and entrance and maybe an animal encounter. Mm-hmm. But we can also do the higher end, which is now where we're getting the pizza, we're getting the cake, we're actually okay. helping you a little right. bit more coordinated. So mm-hmm. parents that want to save a little bit of money by doing a lot more themselves, we'll give them the venue. People that want a little bit of extra extra help, we will accommodate and do that. Um, we are looking at potential zoo rentals and the tours and things like that. <clears throat> That's the stuff I still haven't quite wrap my head around at this mm-hmm. moment sure. to know all our offerings. And and more importantly, we're in the community. Is there some service lacking mm-hmm. that maybe we can capitalize on as well? I know another way that revenue comes in. I don't know how much, but I'll tell you. And I'm, you're going to say, oh, of course, we know all about that. And that's um, a few years ago, my wife's 
oldest daughter. She has uh, five of the grandkids, and they love the zoo. They don't live in Attleboro anymore, but she would take them constantly to Cape Grand Park Zoo. So one day, when it was her birthday or the kid's birthday, I went in, and I was absolutely shocked to find out that just a family pass for everybody to go to the zoo was X and X dollars. I mean, it was incredible. So I bought two, you know, one for her and one for somebody else so that, like, for over two years, they could go in any time they want. That's another area I would think that could be bumped up because that's money that in your budget where Capron Park is is earning the money. Yeah, a lot of zoos will establish their membership at about two and a half to three visits for a family of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a variety of levels, like a lot of other institutions, that basically help it for everyone to find what works best for them. Mm-hmm. If you plan on visiting a zoo more than three times a year, that's probably the best plan for you. But mm-hmm. we also have to monitor to make sure that not everybody in the community gets a membership and then our revenues overall would drop. So it's finding that right balance. What is the perceived value for that? So Why would the revenues drop, though? If everybody buys um, that visits a zoo, now mm-hmm. has a membership, yeah. then your gate revenue, your daily gate revenue oh, will okay. drop. And right. so you're just I really you're changing yes. it up. But because, at some point... Yeah, they can go in anytime they want. Correct. You need daily visitors. It, I wasn't paying attention, but anyway, we'll go to another break very shortly. So it's a balance, right. and you want to make sure that you're getting your regular gate revenue with mm-hmm. your membership and whatnot. So it's just trying to understand those numbers as well mm-hmm. to find a right price point that generates the most revenue out of memberships and the gate revenue. Without mm-hmm. if your if your membership is too high, then people might do the gate. So it's about finding that right balance and mm-hmm. understanding sure. the value. But normally what we tell people is if you plan on visiting the zoo more than three times, buy a membership. Yeah. That'll terrific. save you money. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would think, and I, I'm just thinking, uh, have you ever, I'm sure zoo directors all over America have done this, but going into different areas, going to a senior center home, going obviously to the schools. I know you have a very good working relationship with the schools. They have a lot of programs. But just going out and speaking in front of people, uh, charities or membership drives, anything where you can get in front of them and tell them the terrific news about Capron Park Zoo, is that something I'm sure you've done yeah, I've done I've done a lot, and I've already been invited by the local Rotary Club. Oh, good to uh, talk to their group in April. Mm-hmm. So I'm, if you will, available for Super. for conversations and to talk about people. But I think it's also important for me to understand the background, the history, mm-hmm. so that as I develop a plan and communicate that to the public, it's well thought of mm-hmm. as well. So sure. Well, when you go speak to the Rotary, there's a gentleman over here in the next room. His name is Jim Jones. He's our operations manager. He oversees everything uh, with the radio and the local cable. And I'm, I'm surprised, and I think probably very soon, they will be calling you to come in and do a TV feature. They, they do fast, reliable videotape. They can put it on the air live or replay it on the local system, I'm sure. that. Uh, but Jim Jones is also... Uh, a very key member of the Rotary Club here in Attleboro, and I'm sure he'll introduce himself to you. So that, that'll be good. 
Um, my, my guest in studio is uh, John Wright, uh, veteran of many zoos. Uh, you also did, well, you did your internship at Kansas City Zoo. You were director of the Spring River Zoo in La Roswell, New Mexico. That must have been quite a zoo. Was that humongous or? No, it was, I mean, it was about 40 acres, but so much of that was undeveloped mm -hmm. um, in that regards. They had a, a huge issue with PETA and animal welfare, and mm -hmm. that was kind of one of the things I targeted. I came mm -hmm. in, worked with the staff. We addressed a lot of those issues to bring up the standards to where now we were mm -hmm. meeting all the USDA standards. So that was my number one focus for them. Um, then we were also working off their new master plan, and we're, um, I, was procure, I procured funds to upgrade some of the things at the mm -hmm. zoo, as well as work on the design for a new entry and a farmland experience. Um, they had set aside $5 million um, with the previous administration to be able to work on those goals mm -hmm. and whatnot. So we were kind of moving in that direction um, mm -hmm. until the elections happened. So. Super. You also worked at the Henson Robinson Zoo in Springfield, Illinois. So folks know that uh, John Wright has a lot of experience running and managing zoos. Um, zoo management, animal conservation. Uh, what would be your best definition of animal conservation? Just making sure that their environment or their habitat is clean or is in goodness or working order? It's basically instilling advocacy for their wild counterparts. Okay. So um, zoos have done a lot of great work in breeding programs and have actually reintroduced animals oh, back out to the wild. That's Hit okay. the button. Go ahead. So <laughs> we actually have breeding programs, and some of them have been very successful where we reintroduced animals back out into the wild. So mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand and don't necessarily always know the story about bisons, the mm -hmm. black-footed ferret, the California condor. Those were all breeding programs that we worked with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Mm -hmm. And so we established the breeding programs and, if you will, a matchmaker service to make we all work oh, wow. together to make sure <laughs> that we're establishing good genetics mm -hmm. um, in our breeding programs. We also will participate in um, reintroduction of those animals back out into the wild. We'll also work with other organizations to buy land and conserve the land. Mm -hmm. uh, we will fund researchers to better understand those behaviors and what can be done. Mm -hmm. We've sent out uh, zoo educators to those communities to educate the community about the importance of maybe ecotourism and whatnot. So those are the things, those are the efforts. But on a local level, a lot of zoos will also uh, coordinate with uh, local clubs to do like uh, cleanups of their parks, of their streams. Mm -hmm. um, we will work with state local wildlife officials mm -hmm. um, in those regards of sitting there saying, what can we do to potentially help out that environment as well? Super. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. When I was in Hutchinson, Kansas, we had a wildlife rehab facility that was uh, sponsored and helped develop by Cargill. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually were the regional wildlife rehabilitator. So we would take animals in from wildlife, we would rehab them and release them. So that was also part of our conservation mission there as well. So, really? Yep. That's interesting. Very interesting that, you know, releasing them back into the environment. Um, you've seen all of the animals. You've seen the, the, the smaller animals. You've seen uh, everything over there that, that is there. Um, what kind, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the Roswell Zoo that you worked at. Mm -hmm. Because that's a dry environment, very, very warm out there, different kind of animals out there who might tolerate the heat more than maybe what 
might be here? There was there was some discussion with with city leaders and um, citizens about we just want a native zoo because that's cheaper and easier. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to develop all the indoor facilities and whatnot. I've worked at a few other native species zoo, but in certain areas, it's like I can go and see pronghorn, you know, mm -hmm. in the backyard of one of my friends. I can see this wildlife right there. So even though protecting and educating about our native wildlife is very important, we also want to bring in something different to be able to attract. Mm -hmm. That being said is that if your finances are such that you can't, you know, basically build an indoor, indoor cooling snow manufacturing mm -hmm. facility for penguins, <laughs> you might look oh at gosh. things that can survive at 3,000 feet in dry, arid conditions and similar environments. So at some point you could have eland which are also able mm -hmm. to tolerate a little bit of cold and definitely drier capacities and whatnot. So we would look for animals that could survive and thrive in, in kind of our climate that we have in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it would be the same thing in those, in those regards. If I have animals um, here that maybe I don't always have indoor facilities or other things, is making sure that they can thrive and do okay in the environments we have, or we supplement those with indoor enclosures. Super. Terrific. New zoo director, uh, John Wright, taking over as of January 2nd, uh, hitting, the, hitting the ground running, as we say, uh, learning as much uh, as possible. Uh, at this zoo, it is different. It's smaller, but um, has some different situations and, and problems, and I'm sure along the way that you're going to be uh, a vital cog to, to making it successful. We're going to take a break and we'll have just a few more minutes to wrap it up. I want you to give your email address and phone number because people might want to call you to either volunteer or get involved or be in the Friends of the Capron Park. So we'll be right back with John Wright right after these words. All right. We only have a few precious moments left. Five minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock. In studio, the new zoo director, John Wright, uh, managing the Capron Park Zoo. Anything we didn't mention or we didn't cover that you want to say about your new duties here? Um, well, I got lots to say. Um, so I, <laughs> hopefully I'll be back to visit yes. and continue the storytelling. Um, but more importantly, just people that are interested in the zoo and different ways to help or support, feel free to shoot me an email at jwright at cityofadersboro.us. Mm -hmm. Or you can call the zoo at 774-203-1840. Okay. And uh, usually, um, you know, calling that, you'll get somebody. And you, I was lucky enough to go right into you, which I'm sure you take a lot of phone calls. And, um, but it's 774-203-1840. And what was the uh, email again? J, the letter. Yep. W-R-I-G-H-T. That's right. At city of Adelsboro.us. I have it right here in there my you go. phone. Yeah. So next time I'll just, you know, do you have any time on whatever? But we have other hosts. I only fill in. The regular, I was on here a few years ago every single day, and then I got a kind of a, a, a job I couldn't pass up. It's much, much more money. So that's what I do. I drop off and pick up medical specimens all over the area, blood and all kinds of stuff. So... But when they need me, there's three or four of them. Tom, can you do this? Can you do that? So yep. I can do. So I'm helping Paul today. He's been very, very ill. So I want to thank you for being here. Um, 
you're going to be speaking to the Rotary in April, is it? I, I believe so, yep. Yeah. And if you want to ask him a question or you're shy and that not being on the radio, you can call 774-203-1840. Um, I wish you the very, very best. I love that zoo. Been going to it since my son, who doesn't live in Attleboro anymore, since he was little, little. I used to take him over there, and it's a terrific place. And your love of animals and uh, your experience should go a long way for yourself. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay. There is John Wright, new director of the Attleboro Capron Park. will be, let's see, I don't know if I have any spots, but we can do this. Take a short break. We'll be back. On the other side, we have uh, school superintendent David Sawyer will be joining us on the phone lines at around 10.15. Okay, just about uh, ready to wrap up our number one. Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul Healy. A progress report on Paul. I spoke to him the other day. Uh, he seemed better in better spirits. He's gone through a lot with the, this mysterious illness that has uh, made him uh, very, um, just, you know, with a lot of uh, physical symptoms. Uh, but he's battling back. He's had doctor's appointments. He's got Carol there to help out. And um, he's been on some different medicines. And I guess he's getting better. And uh, we'll see what happens for Monday. Meteorologist Jim Corbin, let me see. We are at the top of the hour. Should I, I should tell you that you're listening to WARA, Attleboro, Providence, your local community radio station. I'm Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul. And uh, here we are on a Thursday already, February 1st, February 1st, my goodness. Meteorologist Jim Corbin saying, cloudy again today, not as chilly, high in the low to mid-40s. I believe this is the 10th day in a row that we have not had any sunshine at all. 10th day in a row. Tonight, mostly cloudy, late night shower, mainly from the, uh, from the south area, low in the low 30s. For tomorrow, Friday, more clouds than sun. Spot shower, a flurry or two, high around 40, colder overnight. For Saturday, there you go. We finally get uh, a full day of sunshine. Sunshine prevails, says meteorologist Jim Corbin. Breezy, high in the mid-30s. More sunshine, breezy on Sunday. So uh, those folks who suffer a little bit with that, uh, you know, mysterious thing that makes you so depressed without the sunshine, you should have a good weekend because it's going to be sunny on Saturday, high in the mid-30s, breezy on Sunday, probably also in the 30s to 35-degree range. And currently, what do we have at the Weather Center? Currently, we're at 42 degrees, 42 degrees in the area. Um, meteorologist Jim Corbin left me a detailed weather forecast, and you will hear from him at midday to tell you all about the weather forecast for the next few days. Um, right after, about quarter after or so, we will be getting a call from the uh, superintendent of all the Attleboro schools, Mr. David Sawyer. Uh, he's always been very cordial to come on the phone lines. He's a busy, busy person. 
as one would know because of, uh, you know, managing all the schools. Um, he's got a lot on his plate. So we are so happy every time he uh, consents to come on board. So uh, we will be talking to him on the phone lines coming up at quarter after 10. On a personal note, I have to say one thing. Uh, today's February 1st, which is uh, February is Black History Month. So I hope that maybe Dominic or Dave Kane or, um, or Paul, when he gets back, uh, or anyone else who does a talk show, will decide to have someone or other individuals, um, black people who have uh, made a contribution to American society. They're going to do this all month in February. I guess in Boston, they're going to have a whole bunch of activities honoring black individuals who have made giant strides for our society and who have been terrific in what they have contributed to America. So that's good. February 1st through the 28th is uh, Black History Month here in this country. And uh, so hopefully maybe we can do that sometime as well in the month of February. There is another thing going on in February, which is kind of, as I mentioned, on a personal note. Uh, February 3rd, there might be a few people who would remember this. Um, uh, our guest coming up after 11 certainly would remember. Um, after 11, we're going to have in studio the Honorable Ron Straminski, a guy that I have known for many, many years. Look up to him. Respect him. Uh, he taught me a lot about talk radio, none of which I ever incorporated into my style of talk radio, but we'll get into that some other time. But he'll be with us later. The whole point to this is that my journey in life brought me to this area of the country uh, starting on February 3rd. 1986, February 3rd, 1986, was day one. My younger sister and older sister, uh, they got together and, you know, hey, we got, we got plans for Tom. So um, I was living in the Southern Tier. I was working. I had worked at two radio stations before I moved here. And that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to come here to experience you know, Boston and these communities and try to, you know, continue in radio broadcasting that I went to school with. So uh, February 3rd, 1986 is uh, 14, 34, and 4 is 38. 38 years ago, 38 years ago on Saturday will be my 38th anniversary living in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So Hold the applause. I know. I mean, it's a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous anniversary for me. Nobody else would know. Actually, when I first moved here, 1986, 87, 88, I used to have this huge party every year on February 3rd. I remember Dominic would come to that party. Um, even my parents drove up here once uh, to attend a party 
it was like, wow, Tom's made it for four years in this area of the country. It's, you know, like 1990. So we used to have a party every year, and then as it got up around 8, 9, 10, 11 years, then it just became an anniversary, and, you know, thank goodness I'm still living. <laughs> um, but I've had wonderful experiences here. I think actually now I've lived more of my life in Rhode Island and Massachusetts than, than upstate New York. You know, I do think about home occasionally, and I do get back home probably twice a year maybe, maybe sometimes only once a year. Um, but this area, and people like Ron Straminski, Dave Kane, Dominic Katoya, uh, the late Chuck Whalen, um, Elaine LaRoche, there have been so many, Frank O'Donnell, uh, were very, very beginning friends and teachers of mine. And uh, I learned a little bit about this and that and different things. And uh, so, you know, just if, if I had the time, I would plan something. Maybe we could go to Bliss Dairy or something. I think we have a phone call here somewhere. It's eight minutes. Let's see. Let's see. Good morning. You're on WARA. I only have one request. Yes. <laughs> Do not show up on Saturday in your birthday suit. Oh, come on, Dave. I did it last time, and everybody thought it was kind of fun. Yeah, they thought it was fun because they looked at you and said, well, at least I don't look that bad. <laughs> well, I look better than that now. I've lost some weight. You know, you can actually... You can see my legs now. You can you can see my my waist and my stomach and all that. So, and when you're looking down, can you see your legs? Uh, yes. Now I can. All of them? <laughs> I only have two, Dave. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know. Hey, I okay. hey, Dave. Do you remember you went to at least two of my? Hey, my goodness, Tom's been in this area of the country. Five years now. You were there twice. Yeah, I was there before it was a national holiday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a real national holiday now. <laughs> Be kind to Tom Rafferty Day. Right. So, anyway, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I just I didn't know you were uh, filling in for Healy today. Well, now that you know, uh, what are you having on in about 48 hours from now? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, because um, at 9 o'clock, I'm going to have uh, attorney Stephen Clapp on. Uh, attorney Clapp is the, uh, the attorney in North Attleboro who is giving out copies of the Woke Poet Book. Oh, yes, I read about that in the paper. Yeah, so he's going to be on the air with me uh, in the first hour, and we're going to talk all about that whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the t one of the teachers in North Attleboro, or some of them decided that they would pull that book based on uh, parents' objections, so the kids never even one, knew. One, that one, one, one parent. Just one? One. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, so that, uh, uh, that's going to be very interesting. Uh, then at, uh, at 10 o'clock, I have Squire Rushnell. Squire Rushnell used to produce uh, Injunction Junction, you know, Schoolhouse Rock. 
Mm-hmm. He yes. ABC, and uh, he also uh, has produced many shows for Lifetime and um, and the uh, what is it? The Hallmark Channel. Mm-hmm. And he has something that uh, a series is out called God Winks. Okay. G O D W I N K S. God mm-hmm. Winks. Okay. And it's very similar to my Forty One stuff. All right. Yeah. So he'll be on, and uh, I've got somebody in eleven, and I'll be damned if I can remember who it is. Well, if you need somebody, I'm always available. It will be my anniversary, you know. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about all the wonderful things that you've been through. And oh, my God. Done. And you were right there alongside of me, you know, saying, I told you, Tom. I told you not to, you know, all all through that time. We're going to talk about all the swings and misses, your whole situation with puberty. Oh, stop it. I finally went yeah. through puberty. That that you weren't I, supposed to mention that. Well, because well, but you get your certificate. That was good. Yeah, yeah. I still have yeah. that. As a matter of fact, hey, can I ask you a, a quick favor? Or I'm, it's sure. not even a favor because I know you'll ask her anyway. The next time you have Mayor Kathleen De Simone on, she's she's great. She's a good mayor. I <laughs> I've met her and had her on twice. Uh, when she was city councilor and running for city councilor. Um, very bright lady. Um, but, you know, the news here in Attleboro is that uh, Brenda Young, who was like a 25-year employee at Capron Park Zoo, who was the assistant zoo director, she did everything at the zoo, knew everyone, um, was here at this radio station a number of times, a uh, lot of responsibilities. The mayor has cut ties with her, saying that she is not a part of the future of the city of Attleboro. I just had on the new director, John Wright, asked him a little bit about it. He wasn't involved. But would you ask Ms. Mayor Kathleen Simone to maybe open up a little bit as to why she decided to uh, let her go? I mean, it... She was just, you know, all it said in the newspaper is that the mayor thought that Brenda was not part of the future for the zoo. So I'm well, just asking, because I know that she comes on your show, you know, every few yeah, weeks. She's going to be on, uh, gonna be on uh, next week. Well, just if you can remember, maybe I'll leave a little note here for you. You know, well, and, no, no, I'll remember. But here's yeah. the other thing is when she's on with me next week, yeah. you can call and ask. I will. I absolutely I will. Mean, he answers any and all questions. She's not dodging anything. I know she's so, not, you know? Yeah. Well, you said, but the thing is, you said, she's this, she's that, she's good. To, and then you said, but. What do you mean, but? Well, I'm just calling into question why someone of Brenda's uh, experience at the zoo could I'm not sure go they, forward. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's, there could be a million reasons none of which could have to do at all with Ms. Young's uh, work. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of other variables, Tom. There are a lot of other variables. I'm sure. Might be budgetary situation. Mm -hmm. It might be, who the hell knows? I mean, I'll certainly try to remember to call her, to Mm -hmm. ask her. But I I really want you to call I'll be listening. And you ask her. Um, on a final note, I have my, my guest is on the line, the superintendent, so I'll give you the last word. What would you like uh, 
uh, Paul's audience to know about with Dave Kane. <laughs> so he hangs up. <laughs> oh, my God. There you go. There's Dave. Can't even get a last word from him. Okay, well, Dave's on Saturday, 9 to noon. He's got some very interesting guests coming up. And you can tune in right after Mark Ambrose with his uh, country now and then from 6 to 9. Mark does a terrific job putting together a very, very well-listened-to program. Country, now, and then. I believe, here we are, my uh, next guest is uh, calling in. And it's an honor and a privilege, again, to speak to the superintendent of all the Attleboro schools, um, David Sawyer. David, welcome in. Thank you for giving us the time again. Thank you for having me, Tom. Um, lots to talk about, lots of things. Uh, you know, I've tried to, you know, come up with different things that are happening regarding the schools, the school department, the school committee. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, uh, I heard yesterday the school department announced in cooperation with the city uh, uh, a new partnership with the William James College. I guess they're going to provide mental health services to the city and school. Can you talk to us about the partnership and what it means for the Attleboro schools? Yeah, I'd be happy to. We're very excited. Uh, really appreciate the city's support uh, through the leadership of the mayor. Um, as uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, uh, we as a nation are facing a, a mental health crisis. Um, I, I think it was a, a problem that was uh, well in development uh, before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly um, exasperated the situation. And so as we try to put life back together here in the schools, we're finding that um, we have a lot of students who have uh, mental health needs. And, you know, quite frankly, as an educational institution, um, we're not qualified to provide those kinds of services. You know, we, we know how to teach kids how to read and write, um, but in terms of, of helping them get the help they need for their mental health concerns, you know, we really need uh, external help for that. Uh, but the schools are a really great conduit for connecting both children and families, and this is another piece of this which is so exciting, is that you know, a lot of our students, um, the issues they have really stem from issues that are larger than just what they're going through. And so to be able to not only provide services to students, but also to their families, I think really helps to get to the, to the core of the issue. So uh, through this partnership, uh, it's basically a referral service that uh, allows us to connect um, students and families uh, with, uh, you know, uh, professional mental health services through William James. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the city also has this capacity um, uh, through their agencies. And so working together, you know, as a city, when we find that we have families in need, uh, we can use William James to come in and, and help uh, provide uh, families with, uh, with, with real supports, mm -hmm. uh, which, again, is something that as a school district, you know, we're just, that's, that's not what we know how to do or are good at. So, uh, we're very excited that uh, we have this resource that we can connect families with. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, with all of that being said, and that's terrific, um, as an educator, as a administrator, uh, and you were a teacher for many, many years, what would you say are some of the mental health issues that the schools are facing? Could it be, you know, drug use? Could it be acting out, um, violence, that kind of thing? Maybe some 
other types of issues? So it, it truly runs the full gamut. Um, you know, as I was alluding to, I mean, some of the problems that our kids are having is that, uh, you know, families are under stress. You know, we read the news every day about all the things that are going on in our society. And, um, you know, when, when uh, children's parents are on, under duress and are having issues, uh, that certainly affects the children. And so sometimes, you know, kids are really just sort of downstream from their parents' problems. Mm-hmm. But Kids have their own issues, too, and one of the ones, to you know, answer your question more directly, uh, that we're seeing is the impact of social media on students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- ten years ago, the world was very different, and uh, the uh, introduce- introduction of, of smartphones into our lives, uh, which are very powerful tools, and, you know, I, I, I don't know any adults that uh, aren't as glued to them as the kids are, um, but... The impact on their natural development, especially around their social development uh, during their adolescence, the impact, the unintended impact of social media, uh, we see uh, anxiety being uh, one of the, the, the chief problems that many, many of our students are, are grappling with. Mm-hmm. That's very, very interesting. Uh, and, and it kind of leads me into my next question. And you and I talked about this the last time you were on, which I believe was late April, and at that time you were crafting or you were meeting with parents and students and teachers and administrators and principals of the other school to formulate a cell phone uh, policy. Um, now the school department is currently crafting that cell phone policy. What is the process for crafting that policy, and what are some of the considerations you were faced with that you didn't necessarily consider at the start, and what kind of feedback are you getting from the different stakeholders? Yeah, so uh, you're right. We started that process back in the spring, and that was the product of you know our growing concern around these issues, uh, both, again, for the mental health side of it and the anxiety that the phones are creating and the, and the distractions they create with, with all kinds of conflict in, in the schools with the kids, uh, you know, uh, bullying each other and so forth on, on social media. So there was that part of it, but also just the phones in the classrooms distract kids from the learning environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to educate a child who has their eyes on, you know, their phone and, and, and whatever app they're using to, that's distracting them. Mm-hmm. So this was a growing concern. And by, you know, about uh, this time last year, we realized we, we, we needed to take it on. So uh, we started to, to craft a, a strategy for that. And yes, yeah, we talked about it last spring. Uh, we decided that what we really wanted was policy. And, and the reason, you know, not all of our solutions are, are policy solutions. In fact, the administration generally tries to use the conditions that we're working under to, you know, solve our problems. Most of our problems are, are administrative problems. Um, but occasionally we see things as a policy concern because uh, in the school district, school committee policy has the weight of law. And um, everyone in the district, including the, the teachers, the administration, families, kids, we all have to follow policy. And so when we enact policy, um, it really carries a weight that few, thing, few other things do. And it, it's very helpful uh, if we can get policy right uh, to force us to do a thing that may not be easy to do. Um, and, and so that was, that was why that's the way we went. So we developed a, a plan to, to develop this policy. It started with uh, going to the school committee and getting their support for the concept of the need for a policy. Uh, and then we went on a sort of a tour. Um, we, we met with educators. We met with the, all the building administrators. Uh, we did a, a, an event, a forum uh, with parents in the fall and invited anyone from the public to come. 
um, and hear what we were thinking about and give us the feedback on that. I also did a student um, a focus group uh, at Attleboro High School uh, to get into the issue with a representative group of students. So we tried to touch on all the stakeholders, parents, students, teachers, administrators, the school committee, every, all these all these, pe- these groups uh, have an interest in this and will be either part of the success of this initiative or uh, if we fail to, to uh, address some of the concerns of these stakeholders, will be part of why it's a struggle. So we really want to try to get this right, and uh, we took our time to go out and hear what people had to say. And mm-hmm. uh, that pro- we wrapped that process up around Christmas. I actually was at the policy subcommittee, uh, subcommittee meeting this week. It was on Monday uh, evening and presented uh, an initial draft policy uh, to the committee. Uh, they gave me their feedback. They, we talked out some of their concerns. Uh, so we're going to go back and uh, work on a revision of that, and we'll be back in front of them in March uh, with a revised policy for their consideration. So that's where we are in that process. In terms of what we learned, uh, I've got to be honest with you, I, there were no real surprises. Um, you know, parents were, were fundamentally where they we imagined that they were, um, teachers, administrators, administrators. Uh, no, no real surprises there. I, I would also say that when we met with the students, I, I wouldn't say that their response was surprising, but it was very helpful to talk to the kids because, um, as we anticipated, uh, you know, they have a different view on this. Um, it was, funny, uh, you know, I, I presented uh, a summary of the research to them about how, um, you know, not just not just looking at a phone is a distraction, but literally the research says that having a phone on your person is a distraction. Um, and that, you know, to really get kids to be able to focus, we have to have them have the phone not on them. Um, so, you know, that was just one of the many things that we were talking about. And they didn't object to the research. They didn't say that that's not true. Um, but in the end, um, you know, they weren't compelled to let the research, you know, guide a change in behavior, right? They, mm-hmm. they still uh, uh, view their phones as, as, as an important part of their lives and are very suspicious of our attempts uh, to change life as they currently know it. So mm-hmm. um, an, another thing that we really took away from the kids is that, uh, so I, I met with a group of uh, 16 students, again, a uh, very representative sample of kids, and they had different views on this. They, there, there was nothing that you could say that they all agreed on. Um, so, you know, sometimes we, uh, you know, we generalize too much and we say, oh, well, this is how the kids feel. Um, and one of the things I think was very instructive in that conversation is, is that uh, there was a wide range of opinion among them. Um, some students uh, were, were quick to acknowledge that they know that their phones are a distraction. They know that it's a, a problem for them in class. Um, and others were less willing to, to, to admit that that was the case. Some were more willing to talk about compromises about how to uh, make the learning environment more effective, and others uh, were less interested in, in, in making any changes. So there's a real range among the students, and that was very clear in the conversation. Um, so it, it, it's helpful to know what we're up against, because in the end, you know, whatever we devise, we're going to have to implement. And, um, you know, if the students, you know, reject what we're trying to do, uh, that creates a, a, a pretty big problem for us. So we've we got to find a way to to convince them that this is something that they need to do. Mm-hmm. Very good. I, I I agree with you. I know it's a, a process that's going to take uh, some time. It's good that you're having meetings and, and talking to all of the different stakeholders. Uh, it's not a decision that you want to make overnight. Um, and, you know, my hope is that, you know, whatever happens, 
uh, students will be more attentive, they'll, they'll focus better, and they'll learn uh, on a larger scale because their phones, the social media, uh, all of the information that just explodes to these kids, you know, I mean, there's just so much variety of information. I think it can be overwhelming. I mean, I look at my phone uh, sometimes at home, and I, I, I have to put it down. I'm like, none of this really matters in my life, if you know what I mean. And I hope that, you know, when you do come up with a policy, uh everyone will benefit. We're, we're going to take a short break, um, Superintendent Sawyer, and we're going to come back. When we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the five-year education plan and where you're at with that. So I'm going to just ask you to hold there for a minute or two, and we'll be right back with my guest, Superintendent David Sawyer of the Attleboro Schools. 28 minutes before the hour of 11 o'clock, welcome in Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul Healy on this Thursday, February 1st. Let's all, uh, let's all stay warm and, and get through this month of February. It, it's rumored that February is the coldest month of the winter. I'm not quite sure, but we'll wait and see. And on the phone lines, we have superintendent of the Attleboro Schools, David Sawyer. Um, David, at the break, I was just remembering something that you had mentioned a while ago um, that uh, I think you had put out a survey or something. Uh, the survey for students, it was called, the views of climate and learning. Again, that's going back to last spring. Has that survey been done? Did you get results, or is that still in process? So uh, there are a couple different surveys that we do with students. Um, the, the state does a, a climate survey um, as part of MCAS testing, um, so that's an annual exercise. And then we, we also, uh, through our participation in the um, Massachusetts Consortium um, on uh, uh, educational assessment. Um, we uh, we do a survey about around you know uh, attitudes both with students and educators about the schools too. So we we try in a couple different places to um, judge how we're doing with kids and how they feel about their learning. So yeah, that's 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 data that we look at on an annual basis and. Um, used to uh, inform our planning for how to improve the schools. Okay. Um, also, the, uh, the last time the school committee met, I guess it was uh, January 22nd, uh, the school committee and you talked about uh, the progress that was being made on the current five-year education plan. Um, for those of people, and I'm one of them who don't know, what is the five-year plan and who developed the plan? Yeah, so uh, like most school districts, I would say, uh, APS operates from a strategic plan. Uh, that's a five-year plan. The first one um, we developed uh, in 2015 and took us to 2020. That was the, the first time in a while that Attleboro had, had uh, used that. Um, and it was successful enough that uh, we created another one 
um, that goes from uh, 2021 to 2025. Um, so we're in year four of our strategic plan. Um, the plan was created by a group of a representative group of stakeholders in the community. Um, it had uh, you know educators, um, had uh, community members, school committee, um, administrators, students, um, and. You know, they assessed the old plan and then uh, developed goals for the next five years, um, and that's what we've been working on uh, since. And uh, next year will be the fifth year of our five-year plan, so that will include the the process by which we create a new one that uh, will take us all the way to 2030. Okay. And, you know, involved in the plan is that... Uh, material that you want to, you know, have the the young students go through? Uh, is it current data, testing? Uh, you know, we have a whole thing on MCAS. I was reading about uh, uh, State Rep. Jim Hawkins and, and, and his uh, philosophy as he was a teacher years ago that MCAS may be not the way to go and maybe there'll be another way to test students before they move on to college. But um, with the five-year plan, there's, there's got to be goals. Uh, after the five years are over, who determines that the goals were met? Yeah, so uh, at that last school committee member uh, meeting um, a week or so ago, uh, Assistant Superintendent Regan was uh, providing a progress report to the school committee because, in the end, it's the school committee that determines whether or not we're making adequate progress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anytime you're doing goal setting, there's always a, a tension. Um, some people believe that the, you know, if, if they set modest goals, then they're more likely to meet them and then view themselves as successful. Uh, we take the opposite approach. We we want to have. Uh, inspirational goals. Uh, we really want to push ourselves. And I'd rather come up a little bit short, uh, really reaching and go further uh, than to take a layup and uh, meet a goal that wasn't all that, uh, all that uh, impressive in the first place. So uh, our, our plan represents uh, a very aspirational view of what we do. Um, it's a strategic plan, so it's really focused uh, less on our technical problems, of which we have certainly our fair share, uh, but it's more strategic in saying, okay, what what are some of the the big things that we think if we work on uh, will improve uh, the overall mm -hmm. effectiveness of of the organization? So, like you said, it, it's it's organized around goals. Uh, we mm -hmm. have three of them. Um, you know, I, I want they're they're kind of uh, lengthy, so I won't I won't read them for sure. Today, but I'll just to summarize to say that the first goal is really about uh, improving instruction by personalizing learning for kids. Um, you know, we we really believe that. Uh, when we make uh, our learning experiences for kids uh, relevant to them as individual students, uh, we do we do better work and get better results. So that's what the first goal is really centered around, all efforts to improve instruction by, through individualization. Um, the second goal is around community engagement. Um, you know, we believe that, uh, one, we can't do it alone. We need help from the community, and that when we're good partners with the many people in this community who want to help us and be part of what we do, uh, that improves uh, opportunities for kids. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as a district, uh, we have uh, really expanded um, the opportunities our kids have as a result of community engagement. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're very proud of that work, and we're very lucky to work in a community that is so supportive uh, of our students and the schools. Mm -hmm. And then the third goal is around, um, you know, offering a, a, a culturally responsive educational environment. So we have um, 
thousand students. Uh, they come from a wide range of backgrounds. They have a very wide range of needs. And, you know, we have a responsibility to educate all students. And so we need to understand who they are, uh, you know, what, they, what their goals are, um, and meet their needs as they are. Um, mm-hmm. And we try really, uh, we put a lot of effort into um, making sure that all of our students know that this is their school district, uh, that they belong, they're a part of what we're doing, and that uh, we care about them as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's terrific. Well said, and uh, I, I, I think I understand exactly what your message is there, and uh, uh, that, that's really, really good. And, and you're right. I, I agree that Attleboro is a supportive community. You have great players here. You've got the Attleboro Public Library. You have the Attleboro YMCA. Um, school committee and city councilors all have families and you know, they get so involved. There's so much uh, things here in Attleboro which provide um, a great, great uh, education. The gentleman I had on in the first hour, John Wright, the new zoo director, there's a zoo, and that you guys are great uh, partners with them, and they offer so many enriching programs over there. Um, one other question about stuff currently. Can you talk about the need to borrow $350,000 from the Special Ed Stabilization Fund? I know it's for kids who are going to other school districts. They need uh, the services, uh, certainly for homeless kids, um, rising cost of tuitions, uh, which kind of all goes back to the uh, McKinney-Vento Act. Um, do you foresee this 350000 going through? And, and specifically, how many kids are? I mean, I know it's more and more each year, but how many kids are going to other districts where Attleboro is responsible for transportation? Yeah, I, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but we're talking of a magnitude of near 100 um, that we're transporting either from far away to us or, or from us to someplace far away. Um, it, it's really uh, hard to get our heads around sometimes uh, the way that the, the system works uh, here in Massachusetts where um, you know, we're, we're transporting a significant number of kids uh, who spend you know, uh, an hour or more in the car uh, each way, each day, so you know, more than two hours sometimes um, just in transport. Um, I, I understand uh, the desire uh, to keep kids' uh, educational experience uninterrupted by the, you know, the external factors around uh, homelessness and other things. Um, but at some point, uh, the hoops you jump through to uh, keep a kid in the school that they started in, uh, sometimes you might be paying too much of a price for that uh, when you, you, know, you, you have students spending such a significant portion of their day in the car. But whether I have the right or I'm wrong um, doesn't really matter because the, mm-hmm. the law is the law and we have to transport these students. And uh, the, 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 the number of kids involved keeps going up every year. Um, and uh, we also are facing a little bit of a transportation crisis. Uh, again, that's, that's a national one. I mean, the, the Globe has run many stories about uh, the problems with uh, uh, busing um, and finding bus drivers. Uh, that can used to be a struggle. Um, so, you know, the, the costs of these things are going up, uh, and the number of students involved goes up, and the distances we're traveling goes up. And so all of that results in um, 
a very volatile situation, which uh, ends up costing a lot more than it should. Sure. So basically, let me understand, any students that live in Attleboro that choose to say, say they want to go to uh, uh, King Philip or something or, or Canton High School, um, Attleboro buses them to where they want to go, and then there are students in other communities, say Taunton or Raynham or wherever, Foxboro, that want to attend Attleboro High School. Are they paid, is the school district paid for the students who want to come here and be educated? So it's more that, so you'll have a family who, say, started in the year in Attleboro, and then they lose their housing, and then um, as a result of being homeless, you know, they're placed in, say, a shelter somewhere in another community. So they started the year as an Attleboro student, and they are living now in a shelter uh, or temporary housing someplace in some other community, um, and we are transporting them from that community here to Attleboro where they started. Similarly, we have students mm. who um, started the year someplace else but ended up in Attleboro, and we're transporting them out of Attleboro to uh, the other community. And as to which community is paying for which part of the transportation, that's a complicated system, but like it can, it can go either way in terms of uh, who's paying for it. In many situations, we're, we're each paying half. So some of this is back to like, you know, we're asking for money on a specialization, uh, special ed tra- uh, stabilization fund. Some of this is about special ed. So when, uh, if a student is at a collaborative or at some, um, you know, day school that's outside of the, of the public schools where they are. So they're being transported. They, <clears throat> the student goes to, lives in Boston, goes to school at a, a special ed school outside of Boston as part of their IEP. So Boston's transporting them to wherever. Oh, okay. They, they mm-hmm. move to Attleboro. They still get to go to that school. Um, to the special ed school. So now they're living in Attleboro, and because they've moved to Attleboro, now Attleboro has to pay um, a portion of um, them going there. And so that's why it becomes a budgeting problem, because all the kids that we know we have to transport at the start of the year, we've budgeted for that. And we've also budgeted for the fact that we know that there are going to be students who move in that we don't know about. But when the numbers are far out, far greater than they've ever been before. I mean, at what point uh, is it reasonable to say, well, we should have, you know, known that that was going to happen, right? And so the numbers of kids involved uh, continues to grow at an exponential rate. So um, it's just, it's, it's hard to uh, know how much to plan for uh, when you don't have any control over the variables. Wow. You know, you're, you are really opening my eyes. I, I just... Uh, I can't really, I, I didn't realize the severity of the situation with homeless and, you know, different students in different communities. Uh, you know, I guess I'm still living in the 60s and 70s when I went to high school, and I thought it was so complicated. Today, it is even more complicated. It's It's got to be a, a tough thing to keep track of all this. Um, one final uh, thing before we wrap up, and I that you certainly could take some time with this. Um, your next meeting, I believe, is February 5th, I think, and school committee will be talking about the next year's school budget, the 24-25 budget. Um, now that the cherry sheets are in from the state, is Attleboro still in the bottom portion in terms of school funding per student? And what the district is able to fund above net school spending 
how will Attleboro raise some more money to put into use for the school year? Can you are you on top of that yet, or have you planned for that? I'm sure there there's been a lot of thought on your behalf with this. Yeah, so um, you know this this process is just beginning. Um, we have not had uh, any meetings with uh, City Hall yet, which will really uh, you know uh, you know set the bar for us. Um, so it's it's a, it's a bit premature, but you know the, the numbers from the state do did come out. So we are aware of things stand, um, as is the case uh, in any given year. It's it's you know uh, not a number that uh, uh, you know satisfies all the demands that we have, but uh, you know we're used to uh, you know making do with what we've got, and so we're going to do our best to put together a budget that. Um, reflects what the city's capacity to spend is and also meets all those needs. Um, we are, you know, as a district, chronically underfunded pretty significantly. Um, if you look at uh, meat and spending on education across uh, the Commonwealth, um, the, the, the median is, is about 126% of net school spending. Um, last year, you know, we spent 102%. So if you... Uh, funded the Attleboro Public Schools at that 126% rate, you know, we'd have uh, about $25 million more million than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that, that's a pretty big gap between uh, what we're spending and what other communities spend. And, you know, part of uh, living in Attleboro and being part of Attleboro is that, you know, we don't necessarily have the, the same resources that other communities do. So I don't think uh, anyone should expect that we're going to be able to spend at that level uh, anytime in the near future. Mm-hmm. It's also important that the community understands that, you know, that there's an impact of this, that, uh, that the school district cannot provide the same level of, of educational resources and supports at that dollar amount that other communities are getting at the higher dollar amount. Um, you know, we're very proud of what we're able to do with the, the resources that we get. You know, we, we, don't, we can't afford to waste them. Uh, we have to be very creative in how we do things, and I, I, I think we get good bang for our buck as a result of all of that. But the bottom line is, is that when you have a disparity of, of more than $20 million, um, you know, which is you know, more than a, a 20% of, of what the budget is, um, you know, that just means that uh, kids in Africa get less than what most kids in the Commonwealth get. And um, that's a reality that the community needs to be aware of and think about its priorities and what it wants to do about that. Um, as, your, as the superintendent, it, it's, not, it's not my place to decide what the community wants to um, commit to spending on education. It's my job to take the resources I'm provided and do the most with them. Absolutely. Well said again. And that is, uh, you know, with the monies you have and the money possibly that you can raise, you're talking about uh, 20 million, 25 million. Um, is that where stuff like, you know, uh, football game money coming in, uh, concession stand sales, basketball games, all of the different things that happen during the year where, you know, parents, uh, private corporations, anyone would give a donation. And that leads me into one final question. Is there anything that's going on in the schools, any event, uh, anything like a, a scholarship program, a tour that you can talk about that we haven't mentioned today? I, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, so much goes on here. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I would encourage people uh, to download the APS app. 
Um, you, it's for both the droids and iPhones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we're always putting out information on all the things that are going on here. Um, you know, Attleboro Public Schools is the city that never sleeps. Um, there's there's stuff going on all the time, and the best way to keep up with what mm-hmm. we're doing and uh, what what people can uh, come and participate in uh, is to just to monitor the feed on the app. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're just about out of time, and uh, um, basically, I, I think we covered some really, really important topics. Uh, anything last minute that you can think of that you would want our listeners, families, parents who have kids in school to know at this point? Uh, no, I mean, it's it's uh, uh, the same message that we always have, that uh, we are... We take our our, uh, our responsibility very seriously. Um, you know, we, we think it is an honor to be the educators of the children of Attleboro, um, and you know, we know that we, we understand the community that we serve, um, and we take great pride in in doing the job we do, um, facing the challenges that we face. And so, uh, I, I think that the the parents of Attleboro are generally are happy with their schools. Um, and I think that they have every reason to be now that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of things that we need to work on because there are, and we talk about those things pretty openly. Um, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when you take a, when you step back from it and think about all that's going on, um, you know, I, I think APS is a, is a pretty impressive place. Absolutely. And I think one of the areas that, uh, parents and people who, uh, love the education process in Attleboro can do is to be at the next school committee meeting, which is February 5th. Take an active part, learn more about what your schools are doing and where your tax dollars are going. What time do those meetings start on Monday nights? Uh, uh, 6.30. Mm-hmm. And for for people that uh, not, can't necessarily make it to the meetings, uh, they're live cast on YouTube. Absolutely. And you can get a lot of information on there as well. Um, Superintendent David Sawyer, thank you again very kindly for your time. I know your days are busy and important as everybody's are, and you are in a very, very, you know, uh, very important position for the schools and for the city. And I thank you so much for being with us on WARA, and we'll, we'll do this again, okay? Appreciate the opportunity. Okay. There is Superintendent David Sawyer talking about some of the current issues that the schools are facing and some of the uh, important information in the meetings and uh, letting you know where the Attleboro School District is going and uh, what is happening. Six before the hour of 11 o'clock. Coming up after 11, the Honorable Ron Straminski, former educator and teacher and also former talk host, television personality. Uh, He has done quite a lot in his uh, terrific career. We'll be back after these words. Okay, another surprise, another another curveball here by Ron Straminski. This was going to be a, you know, one-on-one. I had all this information about Ron, and now I have to share Ron with Dave, but that's okay. Oh, he's leaving in five minutes. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Four minutes. You're going to leave? I haven't gotten here yet. (laughs) All right, turn the headset off. Headset? Okay. Turn it off. There you go. All right. turn. Wait a minute. All right, I got a mic. That's all right. All right. Now you got right. too. Okay. Oh my right. God! See, here we go. Already right. confused. <laughs> All right, don't mess with it. what. The- <laughs> <laughs> 
So See, now my the minute uh, he, he the minute he enters the room. Why did you turn my he- headphones down? Turn the headphones back up. The headphones. Okay. There you go. All right. Is that a little better. No. He, uh, okay. Stravinsky well, you're, can't you're, hear him. Yeah, well, I have to sign five, for Stravinsky. Six, Turn him up. Five. All right. Jesus, Dave. <laughs> up, Can you hear? Up, 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 up. I, I, it is. Right. A, welcome to the Rafferty Comedy oh, Hour. Oh, my God. Help I, me. I had a really good show going, I thought, until... And this is probably going to be the best part of it now that I... What now, what, Dave? Just talk. I saw him panhandling out here. <laughs> Did you really? So I said, you know what? Why don't you come in for a couple of minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a sign. We'll work for airtime. <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> Jesus, Dave! You know, panhandlers. I feel a little sick. I give them animal crackers when I, when I pass them in Boston or at some of the hospitals. What do you carry them with you in the car? I do because uh, I give them out to some of the blood banks in the hospitals. Oh, nice. As a public relations type. You know, thank you yeah, for doing business with Miller's Express. Right. right. So I tried to give some to Dave, and he, Dave was like, I'm not doing business with you anymore, Tom. You know? <laughs> All right. You well, know, it's you good know to he's, see you. he's not used to sitting over here. I, I'm, he, he, I'm, I'm, I'm in my place. <laughs> this is okay. my place. This is oh, great yeah. to have both of you, really. To okay, well, let's do something here. with it. Come on. Okay. What do you want? No, what? This, this was an accident. Yeah. Uh, now, was he going to, that's right, because I was standing, when Mr. Mizuki came in, I was standing with my arms folded. Yeah, he was here. With a stern look. Yeah. Right. Because I've been trying to get him to come on, and he has previous commitments on he Saturday. Will, Ron is, yeah. I know, I asked him a month, uh, three weeks ago, no, Tom, I can't, I can't do that date. Yep. I'm available here. How about this Tuesday? No, I said no, I can't. I got to go to Rhode Island. I got hey, business. Hey, listen, I'm not just sitting around waiting for what you, do you guys think? to yeah, call what do you me, think? you know? I right. Know. Yeah, it's what do you think? Guy. What's the matter with you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I said, how about, he says, I can possibly do Thursday, get back to me. So I got back to him, and then he made me call him about five times. So begging. have we got anything going to be on this, this segment yeah, that's going to be worth um, listening okay. to? Because I'm um, waiting. Did you write questions? No, I typed up a few notes on stuff. He did his research. There. Yeah. There. That's what you want to talk about, No, right? I don't. No, go ahead. Um, current events. The You know, I mean, we could go local first, but let's go national. What no, are your go, thoughts? Let's go local first. How about, let's <laughs> start out with that dummy and coward who, who called uh, Gudis Akeem. How about that jerk? You must start there. Yeah, I was yeah. I was going to ask you. You're a member there. It's I a am. great place. I interviewed some of the folks there one day. Um, what are you? How do you react? I mean, I've listened to Robert Kraft, who really, you know, takes initiative to do, and I know that has always it's, been a sore spot with you. Listen, it, it speaks to the ignorance in society mm-hmm. and the fear. Yeah, absolutely. In the fear. Because this guy is calling up. It's like ringing your doorbell and running. You know what I mean? I mean, never mind calling. You know, you got something to do. Let's see. Let's talk. He, he called Agudas, and he also called another synagogue and some other Jewish organization with threats. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased that they caught him. Yeah. And I want to see what they're going to do with him now. Yeah. And yeah. what I also, I have a note here that, you know, those are mild compared, I mean, anything like that is bad, but, you know, what happened in the, the Pittsburgh synagogue a number of years ago where, you know, 15 people are shot by 
ignorant people again. Is there anything we, I mean, it goes back to guns and violence and school shootings and it, that, that didn't happen when you were in the schools. What, what has happened to our system? Is it that angry that kids need to You know, You out? know what I'm fond of saying? We failed in, in schools. You think so? We, Why? Yeah, well, Why? I think it happens before a kid ever gets into a chair. Well, of course it does. I think it's it. it, it we fail as parents. Failed as parents. They hear you talking. They hear you say things in your home, and they get that message. Look at these parents who bought this kid a gun. Oh, imbeciles! Imbeciles. Bought him a they gun. Didn't care. They didn't care. The school no called idea. the school called them in because they were concerned about them. Yes. They didn't say anything about a gun. And she didn't talk to her son after that because she had to go get her nails done yeah, or something. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's what I mean about the ignorance. Yeah, terrible. I, I, and then they were going to blame the school because the school should have followed up and gone t- to check his locker. Yeah. They didn't yeah. know anything about the gun. The parent didn't say anything about the. If the parent said something about the gun, the first thing that would have happened in that school is the police would have come in, the resource officer. They would have gone to that kid's locker. They would have brought him in and frisked him, and they would have found the gun. And that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yep. What about, I mean, the, I, I presented this idea. I'm sure there's a lot of people in government and Congress that, what about just putting a real solid door that cannot be breached, cannot be opened? It's metal safe. In the in all entrances of, of schools, where? libraries, no, that wouldn't have solved this problem. So, no, the the brand new high school has all of those mm-hmm. in place. Okay, the new Adel, new now second year, Attleboro High School has all of the safety things in place mm-hmm. that are possible to have. Right, even a uh, an, an emergency system where police are notified within like ten or fifteen well, seconds of a gunshot. Right, it, it would immediately be reported to the police. Hmm. But that that that's stopping the, it before it happens. Yeah, that's not the resolution the route way before way before that. And our meteorologist Jim Corbin said to me months ago on the air, how about let them get the rifles, let them get the AK7s, let them get the pistols. Don't sell the bullets. Make it a special, I mean just Keep bullets completely like you got to go through the fifth degree to get a bullet. You realize that you can kill somebody with a butter knife if you know how to do it. It's not about the uh, the item. I mean, the guy, it's about the idiot that has possession of it. First of all, too young, mentally ill, disturbed, uh, half in the bag, whatever it is. This is not about just, it is about how to get these things. The Second Amendment argument is, is specious because nobody's trying to take their guns away. They're trying to say just like you wouldn't give a five-year-old the keys to your Cadillac. You know, the interesting thing is, is that Massachusetts, where we are sitting, is the safest place in the entire country in terms of guns. And right, probably as right now, there's a hearing going on in the state Senate about revisions of gun laws in Massachusetts, especially the red flag portion of the gun law, which is who can decide, who can report someone that they feel is unstable Mm -hmm. and and be able to take their guns away from them. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, one of the proposals in the Senate version is 
or I guess it's in the house version. There are two versions, as it usually is. The house has a version of the this gun reform act, and it's quite lengthy. I haven't read it. Uh, and the Senate has a much shorter version. But in the house version, one of the people that's included in it is school administrators. Mm-hmm. They're saying if a school administrator thinks that Johnny yes, Jones yep, yep, or whatever, yep. uh, they can yep. f- red flag them and take their guns away. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the NRA is up in arms about the, it's called a safer act uh, in Massachusetts. Well, the NRA is on its way out anyway. The NRA, you know, <laughs> Lapierre, he's, he's, he's the he, first. He should be in jail. Yeah, he should be in jail. <laughs> and and the lobby uh, uh, expense and the things that are going on from those people. Listen, I, I, again, it's not about guns. Have all the guns you want. Now mm-hmm. let's f- figure out who's going to have them. It's like cars. Yeah. It's it, like cars. But that's the argument the NRA uses. It isn't the gun. It's the No, that's that, true. It is. That's, it, that's, you know, that's, that's like problem. if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have yeah, them. Right. Well, it's well, fine, but we're not outlawing guns. We are outlawing mm-hmm. the outlaws mm-hmm. and whatever. It's not the guns, but people are being killed in this country by it's just amazing how many people are dying. Let's put a Band-Aid on it first and then go yeah, deeper and, and, into and, the and wound. And how big would that Band-Aid be? What's the Band-Aid? The Band-Aid is like just confiscating guns. Get you can't do that. There's a Second Amendment. But you can it's tell. The way, the way you do it. A few months ago, I drove up to the small community in Maine where Muhammad Ali fought. What was the name of the town? Who knows? Where Who cares? There were like Nobody 13 cares. people yeah. killed. He went into the bowling alley. He was yeah, yeah. with the ROTC. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was unstable. He, they were warnings from his people. Yeah, from he was his in family. the National Guard, wasn't he? Yeah. He, was, he was an active yeah. National Guard member. Yeah. Please help this guy. He had already threatened he was going to do it. Mm. He goes into a bowling alley and kills. Well, I think that's what uh, Straminsky just said, didn't he? He said, just said the same thing. He said, mm-hmm. we're talking about getting a hold of people and saying, look, this guy's half out of his whole mind. Right, right. You don't, you know. It's like all of these radio stations in Rhode Island who won't hire me. They think this guy's out of his mind. We're not letting him on. Yeah. Well, just have them call me. I'll no, tell them. Okay. You've <laughs> mellowed. You've mellowed. I'm, I'm Ron, have I mellowed? Uh, I have a little bit. Yes, he has. I, I don't know about. I don't know about that because uh, he doesn't really? listen. He can't <laughs> listen because he's an amazing class. How come I'm okay. not as nervous around you as I used to be? Because you've mellowed. And this guy, when every every night six you to eight, you don't listen to answers, but you you you've mellowed. <laughs> well, I mean, six to eight, the guy would have twenty calls a night, and you know, we we talk a little bit, and I'd take over, and Ron was gone, and you know, hey, I haven't heard you give the telephone number. Here we go. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Well, before you give the phone, yes. telephone number, my mother's calling me. I have to go. I thank you very much. I just want to tell everybody that Nikki O Foundation is going to present mm-hmm. Lisa Powers Medium at the Industrial uh, Next Door Attleboro Industrial Museum oh. on March Sunday, March third. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to your mom in a long time. How's she doing? She's doing very well. Did you move her from the one nursing home she was in? No, no, no. She she loves that place. I she's went been to dead see for th- thirty years, but other than that. See? Yeah, Ruined the joke. Good. Ruined. He does it every time. He can't even... See, this looks like I'm leaving. Okay. God bless you. All right. Make sure you make an appointment with him to be on his show next time. I'll, I'll try. 
<laughs> Hi, Dave. Excuse me, I'd like to do my impersonation of, of Mayor Haru. Yeah, that's great. Sure. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, it's, he hasn't changed. A, a little bit he has. He's gotten older. I remember him when he had brown hair, and he, he was fiery back then. You weren't in the building all the time like I was, but <laughs> anyway. Um, I really don't know I, yeah, what to ask I, you anymore. I, I haven't heard you give the telephone number. We have a special guest in studio, Ron Straminski. He is a longtime educator in Attleboro and started his career in Boston, became a housemaster at the Attleboro schools for many, many years. You also were uh, principal at Wakefield. Wakefield Memorial High School. Yes. I go to the, uh, there's a hospital, Wakefield, there's another community. Melrose Wakefield yes. Hospital. Yep. That's a nice community. Driving through there, beautiful Absolutely. area. Yeah. And, uh, and then you've done consultation work. Um, they also, you took over, was it Wamsada Middle School for a short time as principal? I got a telephone call in 19, let me think. 2015, mm -hmm. from then Superintendent Sheehan. Okay. And he said, um, Ron, I want to have coffee with you. This is out of the blue. I said, Ken, come on. You don't want to have coffee with me. What, what's the story? <laughs> uh, this was in December of, 19, of 2015. And he said to me, look, he said, the principal of Wamsutta Middle School was just appointed superintendent in a central Massachusetts community. Oh, wow. He said, I need somebody to be the interim principal of Wamsutta mm -hmm. at following the Christmas vacation until the end of the school year. And I said, Ken, you know, I'm a high school guy. I haven't, I haven't been involved with middle school or junior high school level since I taught in Boston, I, I actually taught at Boston Latin School, mm -hmm. and I taught eighth grade, but that's a very different kind of a setting than any other place. He said, you can do it, you can do it, come on down. So I went down to talk to him. I said, well, give me a little time to talk to Lean. Mm. And, he, and she said, well, if you want to do it. You know, now you, to be frank with you, I used to say, if the superintendent ever wanted to transfer me to a middle school with 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, mm -hmm. I would much prefer to go kick a foot press <laughs> than yeah. try to reason with a 10-year-old. Right. right. But I was so wrong, Tom. Mm -hmm. I was so wrong. I loved every day that I was at Wamsutta. Mm -hmm. And when it ended in June, if they had said to me, would you stay on? I probably would have. Mm -hmm. But I had a wonderful experience yeah. there. The staff you, was great. You know, I'm not, I mean, you absolutely look fantastic for your age. I believe you're in the 80 or 81. I shouldn't say that, but I'm 70 for God's sake. Well, let's sakes. put it this way. I'm older than 81, but leave it there. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to grow up and, you know, <laughs> um, your age, was that, a, was it taxing for you? I mean, you had to be in your early to mid-70s when you did that, yes? Yes. I, I mean, that's, it, that's undertaking well, but that's, quite that's, a bit. The point is that I didn't find it taxing. Mm -hmm. 
and I had a multitude of experience working with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, they welcomed me there. And in fact, the curious part of it is, is I walk in and the secretary says, oh, Mr. Straminsky, I was a student of yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was at Attleboro High School for 30 years mm -hmm. when I left Boston. Yeah. Was it, were you a housemaster all no, that time? No, when I, when I left Boston, Boston, Lean and I were getting married, and you could not, just like today, you can't afford to live in Boston mm -hmm. on a teacher's salary. It, you just couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, blow you away if I tell you what my salary was in Boston. It's forty five hundred dollars a year. Oh my goodness! Wow. Forty five hundred dollars a year in those days. But in those days, not bad. Things things were mm -hmm. much less expensive. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, I would tell you a short, cute story. Mm -hmm. When I decided, they had reappointed me uh, in Boston. And we were going to get married. We were going to leave. And so I was, I didn't know what school system I was going to go to. Mm -hmm. So every day I would bring an application from a different mm -hmm. area. We knew we wanted to come down this way because our parents were, you know, in this area. So this one particular day after I finished correcting some papers, I took out this application from Attleboro. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going to fill it out, but all I have is a red pen. Now, you, you don't fill out a job application in a red pen, red ink. I said, what are the chances that I'm going to end up in Attleboro? <laughs> so I filled it out in red ink. And so I said, you were still at Boston I was Latin? Still, I was still at Boston Latin School. So I mailed it off, and uh, then Superintendent Sam Thomas, he called me. He said, Mr. Straminsky, he says, I, I just got your application. He said, and I had to talk to you. I said, oh, well, thank you very much. He said, I've never gotten an application in red ink, and I <laughs> wanted to talk to the person who sent that. <laughs> so one thing led to another, and to make a long story short, he hired me. I want to just tell you one other cute opportunity that a, a, a young applicant when I was in Wakefield, mm -hmm. my secretary said, you have to come out to the outer office. There's something here we want to show you. I said, well, what's it? No, no, come on out. Sitting on the counter in the main office is one of those Coke bottles, one of, when they used to make them in the large Coke bottles, mm -hmm. and, and rolled up and stuffed into the top of the bottle was a job application for an English teaching position that I oh, had open. Oh, my gosh. All I could think of was me applying in red ink. I take this application. I said, I, I got to talk to this guy, right? <laughs> it, it, there's a hint there. If you're applying for a job, you have to find a unique way mm -hmm. to get your application in. I called him in. He was fantastic. I hired him right on the spot. Mm -hmm. He turned out to be one of my better teachers. He turned out to be so great with the kids. He became an assistant coach and... Uh, when I left, he was still there, so he enjoyed being there. But Terrific. Great memories. Isn't that, isn't that curious? That is. So the, the moral of the story is if you really want to seek a position that you really want, yeah. find some unique creative, way. unique yeah. way. I think the late Chuck Whelan told me once he, 
he was applying at a radio station in Boston. So he had his application put, he had it all kind of in ribbons. He had a couple of balloons and he had somebody deliver it right to the PD. He didn't get the job. <laughs> but it was. But it was creative. Oh, it was. You know, he probably, I think he filled in up in Boston occasionally. But anyway, we have to do underwriting announcements. That's how we pay, you know, and I know that. You know, I understand that. Yeah, I know, because, you know, with your appearance here, that costs us. You know, I know it's, I mean, the fee came down a little bit, but... The bill is in the envelope with the balloons. I figured so. Okay. I'll be out on the street selling right after this. So. Okay. You don't think Dave's changed at all? Do you think he's as fiery as he used to be? I don't think you were afraid of him back then in the 80s and 90s. I wasn't afraid of him because it wasn't my full-time job. I had a right, job. Right, right. I remember, you know... I didn't, I didn't have to rely on him for a living. That was my avenue. <laughs> and then come in at about eight minutes of, and then you and I would fight, yeah. put on fight. And then, yeah. and, but you were so good in the main, I'll be right home, put the coffee on, and boom, you were out the door. Yeah. You know, you never... I have a lot of memories. Well, most of that time in what, 80s? Okay, geez, look at the clock, 11.30 already, my goodness, where does the time go? My guest in studio, you all know Ron Straminski for his long, long years of being uh, in education, a principal, a housemaster, a researcher, um, and also being a talk show host and a television, you had a two-hour simulcast back then, in well, which I was privileged to engineer it. <laughs> let, me, let me hasten to correct you. Yes. The simulcast was one hour. Um, I believe when I was, it was Wednesday nights. Was it one hour, it was, seven well, to eight? Well, my, my show was six to eight on yeah. WARA. Mm -hmm. From six to seven, it was strictly on radio. Okay. Then at the break, I would run down to the TV studio. Okay. And the second hour from 7 to 8, originally on just Wednesdays, mm -hmm. um, was a simulcast. That was the hour that I got the extra hour of pay. I mean, I wasn't on the big salary like you, Kane and Straminsky. I was like, you know, Peter yeah. Otmar said, okay, yeah. we'll put that in the budget. Give, actually, give the actually, I started on WARA. In 1979. Before Dave. Before Dave. Before Dominic Katoya. Yes. I, don't, I think Dominic may have come sometime in the mid-'80s. Yeah. Bob Bamberg was here, Bob the Bam late Bob, Bob Bamberg. Bamberg was here. Uh, let me tell you a cute story. A lot of cute stories. We could be here until 6 o'clock. Um, I, I never applied to be a talk show host on this radio station. I got a, a telephone call. Um, actually, from Bob Coelho, the former superintendent, namesake of Coelho Middle School. Mm -hmm. He called me because Peter Otmar, who was the owner of this radio station, and happened to be a student of Bob Coelho's when Bob was a principal. Oh my! Peter Otmar was in the school. Wow! All right. You didn't know this, right? Mm -mm. 
So he called me, he told me that Peter Rotma had called and that he, he called Bob Coelho to ask Bob Coelho if he knew anyone who might be interested or might, might be a good candidate to take over a one-hour talk show from six to seven. Mm-hmm. And Bob Coelho recommended me. That's how it started. Really? So I went down. I was living down in West Warwick, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. So I was driving up here to Attleboro High School. And then after my school hours and whatever, and what they were asking me to do was to lay over until 6, six o'clock and do the show 6 to 7. Now, it was in the summer. Mm-hmm. The reason that the opening existed, and old-timers to the radio station and old-timers to living in Attleboro for years, the reason that that slot was open was because Hank Sennett was running for mayor at that time. And you cannot run for mayor and be a talk show host at the same time. That's not allowed. So Hank was giving up the show, and so they needed somebody. And uh, Peter said to me, you know, in the summer, phone calls tend to be a little bit down. You know, daylight savings time. People are out and about. They're on vacation. He said, what I'd like you to do is give it a try into, into September when people come back. And at the end of September, we'll get together and we'll talk about whether or not uh, in our eyes, meaning their eyes, that uh, it was successful. As it turned out, they viewed it as successful. Nice. So I stayed on. My children were young, and I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I had made some sacrifices there not to be home with them after school hours and be here in Attleboro. Uh, until 7 o'clock, and then to have to drive down to Rhode Island. Anyway, it wasn't long after that that I moved to Attleboro. I moved to Attleboro in 1981. Mm-hmm. And uh, the show was going so well, they called me in, and they said, we'd like you to do an extra half hour. We'd like you to stay on from 6 to 7.30. Can you do that? I said, hey, I think so. So I did it. Did and, they make it worth your while? Well, the only first off, let's understand <laughs> that this was not my livelihood. Right. And this was my avocation. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. And while I enjoyed it, I wasn't going to do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I did it. And it wasn't long after that that they called me in again, and they said, we'd like you to do six to eight, and had another half hour on. Wow. So that's how it evolved, anyway. And from that time forward, from 1979 uh, to 1994, I was doing a two-hour talk show on this radio station. Mm -hmm. The only difference was that I was doing Monday, actually, actually I was doing Tuesday through Friday. Really? And when Dave Kane came on board as the manager, he called me and he said, look, and he said, you know, this isn't good. Four days a week like this isn't good. And I said to him, well, I'm sorry. That's all I'm willing to do. So it's either I do four days or I don't do any. 
Ooh, you really, you really. What? No, I, I laid it out. So he said to me, well, how about if you do Monday through Thursday? And then on Friday, it's the start of the weekend. Mm-hmm. It would make much more sense from a programmatic standpoint. And I right. said, well, that's, that's even better for me. Yeah. So that's what we did. And that's when Jeff Lowe. Yes. Took over the Friday time slot. Hysterical. Back always, when. <laughs> always a great show with Jeff. But Give before Jeff, I think, wasn't, didn't Frank do it? Frank O'Donnell maybe a little bit? Or he was on weekends yeah, because no, he, 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 he kind of helped me with yeah, the board when yeah. I first started. He, ne- he never did the Friday okay. that, that I recall. He, I, uh, I recall that your program, from six to eight, and all the years that I was here, on and off, I left, I came back, you never once, not once, did you ever ask me to fill in for you. Because you know why? Because you were always here. Exactly. Always here. Never took a, you were always well and and very businesslike. As a matter of fact, you, I know what you used to say to me sometimes, hey, you, Tommy, can you call this number for me? It's it's the governor. You know, Governor, do you remember this? Yeah, you asked sure. me to call because he was scheduled to be on your show. So I called the number and boom, there is Governor Mike Dukakis. And, and me being so nice, Mike, hold on. <laughs> Ron will be right with you. Didn't even call him governor. And you were like, oh, my God. <laughs> there were so many... So many times that, uh, you know, it's, I look back on those days and I go, my God, I was a, I think, you know, where I am today as opposed to, life was a little different back then. I was younger and it seemed to be, you know, but I didn't take this as serious as I should have. You know what I mean? mean Broadcasting? Yeah. Yeah. Because there were so many other things, you know, that a kid mm-hmm. from upstate New York being in a new area was interested in. So I just, you know, but when I came in here, I really, really had to try hard to, I, I mean, from eight to midnight, I was not, you know, Brudnoy. I was not Ron Straminsky. Well, listen, when I took over, I, I didn't, I, I was going to say I didn't have any radio experience. I was on, I went to Boston University. Mm-hmm. And I joined the radio station there early on, mm-hmm. but I was also interested in drama, and I couldn't do both. It was too much of a commitment, and I gave up the radio side, curiously enough, and went drama. Wow. Isn't that funny? And then it I end is. up a talk show host. 508-222-1320. A lot of you know the voice of Ron Straminsky. A lot of you know Ron from the high school and the administration and all of the stuff he's done with the schools. And a lot of you, some of the old timers, as you say, will remember him from six to eight, Monday through Thursday, uh, your simulcast. So if you want to ask Ron a question, maybe something he's never been asked before, 508-222-1320, we'd like our guests to feel welcome. I know when you're on Dave's show, it's like a tennis match between you and him. You're all, but you, you're good with him because at some point you always go, 
Now, listen, Dave. You know, are you listening? I didn't say that. I said that the, you know, and you're the only guy that can kind of lasso him, you know. When you say you, they recognize my voice, my voice has changed, as you can a hear. A little bit. I, I've sort of gone hoarse a bit. It's a wonder that back when, with all the talk that I did, I have that I didn't water lose here if you want to drink some. It's no, right out of the, no, you know. No. 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 Okay. Do you know what the secret is for this? What, your Conditions voice? Conditions for your voice? Uh, not talking. Well, that always helps, but pineapple juice. Really? Yeah, if you ever get a little bit foggy in your voice, mm -hmm. drink pineapple juice. That, that was the secret back then. Yeah. By, by the way, when I say I had no experience doing a talk show, when I was at BU Radio, I wasn't doing a talk show. Mm -hmm. And so when I first came to the station... The manager, you know who the manager was in 79? You don't know. At BU University? No, 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 uh, here. Oh, here. here. Um, Bamberg? Yeah, Bob Bamberg. Right. So Bob Bamberg, who, by the way, whose voice you hear mm -hmm. at the top of every hour on this radio station, Bob Bamberg, uh, to my knowledge, he never was a talk show host. He may have been. I don't remember. He gave me two sheets of paper, and it was called a... Uh, something about a uh, a quick study of being a talk show host. Mm -hmm. And it had a lot of key points that he wanted to share with me, which was helpful mm -hmm. at the time. And Bob was a wonderful guy. He was. Very, very much very nice. Yeah. Yep, I remember Bob. He, uh, he ran the Conlon and Donnelly, which it became the old barn. Right, right. Uh, lover of animals. I saw Bob maybe a week or two before he passed away. He was down in North Providence. I was taking Chuck Whalen around, helping him with his errands, and I went into a pet place, uh, and there was Bob. He was just doing a, helping them out for a week, showing them, you know, the importance of different cat and dog food, and mm -hmm. I said hi to him, and, you know, a week or two later, you know, he, learned that he had he, passed away. He was a salesman for pet food, right, yes, at that time? Yes, and just, I remember back then I, I, I sold a spot uh, that really, you know, was a good account, and he was happened to be here one day, and I asked him, Bob, can you read this for me? And he went into the production studio, clean as a whistle, mm -hmm. absolutely professional. I used to do that for some of the other folks, you know, that was one of the big jokes that Dominic, every time, you know, Dominic was our production manager and he'd have 15 spots to do, Willetree Poultry Farm, you know, Silman's, London's, you know, and he could rip them off in 25, and I'd be like, well, I just want to cut my promo from 8 to midnight. And, you know, he'd be, all right, well, how long is it going to take you? And I didn't really know how to do anything. And they would wait. Frank and Dominic would be outside the door going, who the hell is that guy? I don't know. They hired him. He's doing 8 to midnight. And Dominic would be like, he'd finally come in. Are you done with your promo yet? And I said, well, which is the microphone? <laughs> you know. Finally, they both were like. We'll, we'll teach you later. Get out of here. We need to do, you know, spots. Okay, somebody's calling here. All right, let's hear it. 508-222-1320 is the number to call. Good morning. You're on WARA with Ron Straminski. 
Yes, hello. I don't know Ron as well. I have seen him out in public, but I wanted to say hi, Tom. It's Agent 5. Agent 5, a big fan of Paul Healy's, and Ron wanted to give a message to right. to, I, to I, Paul. I, I, if Paul's listening, Paul will wish you a speedy recovery from whatever is keeping you away from this microphone. Yeah. Autoimmune yes, I something? I think he's on the mend, but he's had some consequences that have just been really not comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, This is one um, of his agents, Agent, oh, a- five. Agent 5. She lives in yeah. the very affluent community of Norfolk. Norfolk, well, I did, yes. but I'm about to move to Taunton. Oh. Um, I will be gardening in Norfolk and helping them with their community garden still. Oh. So I'll still be hanging out there, but I, won't, I don't reside there anymore. Yeah. She does a lot of volunteer work. She held signs. She's very acquainted with a lot of political candidates like Lori Sawyer and uh, um, Ty Waterman. Everybody. Yes. So back in 2002, if I had known that, I probably would have called her because in 2002. (laughs) Yes, I had that in my notes. I don't recall that. Oh, yes. You were this close? That close. What what what? I had just moved here then. I was in the Dover Sherman area before that, managing horse farms. But really, um, I have a I cousin. Have, I have a cousin that lives uh, in Sherbourne. It's a beautiful place. It is a beautiful town. Both yeah. of them are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Open space. Uh, conservationists, you know, very you know, protective of their space. So, which is a really good thing. But I had call. I was going to call first thing, but you had that wonderful first guest also. And I went, well, I, I'm running to the pantry because I did my pantry day today. So, uh, Which one anyway, was that? I, was it uh, Kim or was it the gentleman, John Wright? The first lady who was Habitat for Humanity. Yes, that's Kim. Uh, Kim. Let me yeah. see. Kim Thomas. She's, been, she's worked at a lot of nonprofits. She was with the... Uh, um, the one that uh, deals with sexual, um, uh, you know, violence. Um, what is the name of it? But she they're was... building a house in Norton. She was talking about yes, that. So, yes, yes. Right. So, so they, they was... rely on donations and, and a lot of corporate help. Uh, she's terrific. Yeah, she sounded very sharp. Any other questions for Mr. Straminski? He's the veteran of all veterans here. And... Uh, um, well, I have to say, whenever I've been anywhere, we lost her. No, she's there. After people, and I think that's quite a gift. So yes, I'm just going to say that because I'm rushing off to another appointment. But can, I just want to say hi. Can I'm you so repeat that here. because we lost you momentarily? Can you repeat what you had oh. to say? Oh well, I when I've heard him speak or when he's run things um, like the debates over at. Um, I can't think of the name of the um at the synagogue. Temple. Yeah, the synagogue, thank you. Um yes, you, you handled debates and you brought levity and humor and anywhere I've seen you speak, you, you bring that and that's an amazing, wonderful thing to have. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, Agent Five, thank you for checking in. We're hoping that Paul will be back on Monday. Um, I talked to him the other day. He seemed better with the swelling yeah. and other things, but he said he's still, his voice and, and the snuffiness and cold and all the other symptoms were just as bad, so yeah. we'll see. He's got to rest and let that, he, he has to heal. You know, he's got to mm-hmm. rest and 
let that thing get out of his system. Yeah. And resting is about the best way to go, especially if you're talking at the mm-hmm. job, you know, you're going to lose your voice, so that's not good. But are okay. you going to stay, Tom? Tom, are you going to be there in the morning then? I'm not sure. I don't have any guests yet, but, I, you know, Ron Straminski taught me how to do a talk show, as Dave did as well, so maybe I can use some of that education years ago. We'll see. I'm not sure yet, but we'll see. Okay. okay. Well, we would love you there. You can okay. play music and talk about current events because yeah. you're good at that. Well, thank you. I do appreciate it. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you. Yeah, when I, my idea of a talk show, I can remember you getting so heated during that six to eight, you know, the city council should have known that that budget, you know, you really, (laughs) you would pick on the mayor. Well, first first off, Tom, you heard what I said. I directed my attention to drama. Yes. It doesn't hurt to be a little dramatic as a talk show host. You were. (laughs) And then you would play that music and just... Leave them hanging there. I defy the city council to find that money. Anyone that knows anything, you know, and you would point out I, names. I got and, so enraged on a, on, a, uh, on a Thursday night. And I don't remember what it was about, but I was really out of I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I'll be back Monday. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and people were calling me saying, you're not quitting, are you? Uh-huh. Yeah, because if you quit, you know, <laughs> Jesus, they might give that shift to Rafferty. Yeah, we don't right, want that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 10 my. before 12. We have a couple of spots to catch up. And okay, then we'll let's come do back it. up and wrap it up here with Ron Straminski. He's here, and it's a tough chore. I mean, not really a tough chore. You've always come in when I've asked you. This is the second time I've had you on, and you've been on Dave's show. You know, if I'm available. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm retired, but yeah. I'm only... Yeah, but you don't... I, I'm busy. I know. You don't I'm a bargain. busy retired person. How about Tuesday, Ron? <laughs> no. Well, see, I had another... Guy, that tough. I ain't going to be there, you know? <laughs> no, I'm going to be in Rhode Island. No, I have a meeting. I said Thursday, Tom. Well, yeah. Wednesday? Thursday, Tom. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. Ron Straminski with us in studio on WARA. All right, we're going to forego the music because uh, we do have a call. we got eight minutes before noon. I want to ask Ron about what happened when... I I, I actually don't remember that you were going to run for mayor. Maybe I was in another land at that time, but... At the same time, let's go on the air and ask a caller. Uh, do you have some words uh, with Ron Straminski, our guest? Yeah, good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mr. Straminski. I just wanted to call in and say Tom. that Mr. Straminski was uh, a great administrator. He was at uh, House 2 for, for years, a great talk uh, radio host. And uh, we had his wonderful son, Adam, who was a heck of a basketball player back in the day at Brennan Middle School, and we won the championship that year. There's Linda always correcting Dan. I was trying to be really quiet, too. Yeah, you can always recognize Linda. You know, she sounds like my Diane. She Diane does the same thing, you know. Well, thank you for the kind words, Dan. No, no problem. Like I said, you were always a straight shooter with everybody at Adamer High School, and that's why you were very well uh, respected. And like I said said you had a wonderful son there and he was a heck of a basketball player and we had a great year that year and won the whole thing uh in the middle school league so it was an awesome year Mm -hmm. you know dan and linda from their work 
doing the big Christmas dinner. Sure, absolutely. And Dan has been very vocal. He ran for school committee one year. He probably will run for office again some year. And Linda, his lovely wife, knows everything about teeth. She could tell you anything <laughs> about your teeth. You know, uh, she looked at my teeth once and said, Tom, really? <laughs> if I'd known you when you were seven, I could have helped you. <laughs> so how are you both? say that. No, she didn't. We're well, thank you. That's good. Linda's the technician of the family. She's the brains. I'm the bronze. I, I bring the beef behind it. Yeah. Dan is a home remodeler, builder. He renovates and helps people all over the Attleboro area. Linda comes from a uh, family of dentists. Her brother is a dentist. Ooh. Father was a dentist. Grandfather was a dentist. Um, who well? Who wasn't a dentist in your family, Linda? My oldest brother. Your oldest brother. He's a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a pharmacist. Oh, that's right. And her father. Didn't your father? take care of Block Island to some degree with with the uh, pharmacy, was yeah, it? Yeah, he was the, no, he was the dentist on Block Island for oh, about okay. 15 years. Mm -hmm. Linda, yeah. where are you from? I'm from Rhode Island, from East Greenwich. Oh, okay. I lived several yeah. years in yeah, West, in West Warwick. <laughs> My son lives in West Warwick right now. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They're good people. Yep. Very, very good people. Yep. So our family yeah. practice is in Warwick. Yes. And now she's got a different position in dental. So I've asked her many times to, you know, we could do a clinic up here about dental and do a <laughs> cleaning and Tom, please. <laughs> I, I don't make any money up there doing that with you. I, you know. <laughs> They're great people. Hey, good to hear from both of you. Okay. Yes. You too. Okay. Thanks again, Dan. All right. Thank yeah. you. There goes Dan and there goes Linda. Good, good people in Adelaide. Absolutely. Very good. They just volunteer work is their middle name and they're both so super nice. They even invite me over to their house. Ooh. You know, you never invited me over to your house when I was. Let me think about that. You did no, once. We had neighborhood restrictions against people like you. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, you're just like Dave. You're not going to win, Tom. Okay, just remember that. You. I do remember once when I was a guest of yours on the Straminski simulcast, you had me in and we talked and, you know, Probably not one of your highlight shows, but there was a guy. No, look, look, let me check the rating book on that show. Yeah, yeah you're right. It was very low rated. <laughs> but you kept the tape, and you invited me to your house, and we watched it. Is that so? Yes, and you were giving me, you know, tips on next time, Tom. No, you weren't. I, I have a hundred of my TV shows mm -hmm. on VHS. Okay. Wow. And I, don't Still. Know, and I don't know if yours is in there. It might be. I know Dominic's might be. We have two minutes. Tell me about what made you start to think about running against Judy Robbins. She was a longtime um, mayor. Well, was she on her like fifth or sixth term you know, when you I, said? I retired in June of 2002. And I decided that having been almost a lifelong administrator, that I had something to offer, you know, and I had thought about running for mayor. The problem was that the election wasn't until 2023. Oh. 
in November of 2023. Oh, okay. So I said, well, that'll give me plenty of time to put a committee together, mm-hmm. find sign locations, develop, you know. Right. And I did. I had a committee. And we met a few times. And then I was offered a, a wonderful position in the Providence School Department mm-hmm. that I, I could not say no to. I felt badly for the people that mm-hmm. had spent time with me, but... You were getting a lot of people in the Edelboro area saying, run, 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 yeah, run for mayor. Yeah. And so here, this is cute. So Kevin Dumas, who ultimately in 2023 unseated Judy Robbins, mm-hmm. right? Not 2023. Uh, You're talking two, about 2003. 2003. I'm yeah. sorry. So I ran into Kevin mm-hmm. in the parking lot at City Hall after yeah. he had been elected. And I walked up to him, and he said, well, Mr. Because I remember him as a student in the high school. Sure. So he said, hey, Mr. Straminsky, how are you? And I put my hands on his shoulders, and I said, Kevin, don't you ever forget that the reason that you're the mayor is because I decided not to run. He said, oh, Mr. Straminsky, I wasn't <laughs> going to run. I was going to run for council. But when I read in the paper that you weren't going to run— I said, I'm going to give it a shot, and, wow. and he won. Talk about absolutely. Talk about the, I remember uh, irony. that. Sure, but I. Well, I'm glad that <laughs> you know things worked out. I guess you know with all of the teaching and everything you've done in the high schools. I guess you started to make think that you wanted to make a career out of it, out of you know management and housemaster and principal, all that stuff. We are plumb out of time. Okay, Tom, thanks again. Yes, we'll do it again, or I'll be listening when you're on Dave's show next time. But uh, Lane, put the coffee on. I'll be right home. Oh, very good. Thank you. That's that. Did that did that get in? Yes. Yeah, we're still on here. All right. That's it for me. We'll see what tomorrow brings. W A R A Attleboro. It's twelve noon.